Andros here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tig Notaro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to the World is Wrong podcast. Noskers intro, take 35. Hey, everyone, welcome to the Noskers, where we like to make fun of and take down all the terrible garbage movies that came out this year. Yes, it was a hard year for everybody, but if your movie was not to our liking, we want to make you feel bad about it. Wait, no, 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 Brian. Hold on, hold on. I, I think. I think you're thinking of the Razzies. The Razzies are the awards for the worst movies of the year. They're the ones that take down all the actually interesting movies that came out, and they get off on telling people what movies they think are stupid and crappy. That that's not us. Really, that that actually exists. That like that's a real. I was just make. I was just making a joke. An award show that belittles filmmakers' hard work. Okay, I, I thought I was just trying to be funny. Um. The Razzies, huh? The, the Razzies sound like if the school bully gave out awards every year for all the people they picked on. Ugliest clothes, <laughs> poorest person, fattest kid, no. funniest stutter. <laughs> I guess my example, funniest stutter, I guess that example's a little extreme. I mean, no awards group would ever pick on the way someone talks. Uh, Brian, I hate to break this to you, but this year the Razzies nominated QB Halloween for, quote, Adam Sandler and his grating simpleton voice, unquote. Huh. Well, I mean, they are the experts in, you know, <laughs> yeah. what movies are truly bad, right? Like, they know a shitty movie if they saw one, so I don't know. Yeah, like when they gave our beloved Jack and Jill the worst picture or Norman Mailer worst director for that classic Tough Guys Don't Dance. Hey, wait a minute. I like those movies. Or Blake Edwards, your favorite, winning worst director for Sunset. Or Adam Sandler winning worst actor, like... I don't know, like 300 times. Hey, <laughs> I like those movies. But I mean, it's just their opinion. They watch every movie, and then they pick their least favorites. I may disagree with them. Uh, but, you know. Brian, I, I hate to just keep being this guy, but Razzie members don't even have to watch the films that they nominate. Really? None of them? None of them. Well, that's not fair to the people who make these movies. Are they just being mean for mean's sake? Are yeah. they, they going to be mean to me? I'm scared. I don't want the Razzie to shove me in a locker. Hey, 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 don't worry. I played Deke Simmons in, in Good Morning, Miss Bliss. I'll have your back. You'll be fine. <laughs> Look, we have our own extremely positive movie awards that will show those Razzie bullies how one is supposed to actually enjoy movies that aren't Oscar material. We're going to champion the films that no one watched or liked. Well, I guess... It, some of us like them, but we're going to watch a lot of films that did not get nominated for Oscars. We're going to be talking about them. We're going to be championing them because we actually love movies. I like that. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world 
what's wrong about the first annual Oscars Awards with, with your, your hosts, Andros Jones. Boy, you sound really not excited about that. This is how you say it. <laughs> Brian Connolly. Andros. Oh, no, it's too late. No, it's too late. It's with this, this opens with Andros Jones and Brian Connolly, your favorite. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to the first annual Noscars. We can't take it back. <laughs> Here we are. We've been talking about it for a long, long time, which is yeah. to say a couple weeks, a few weeks now. And oh, more than that, we've been planning this for months. This I know, but we've only we only months. let people let the word out about it about a month ago. And, you know, the response was pretty much the same as the response to our entire podcast. A few people were like, that sounds interesting. <laughs> so, well, we hope, you, we hope you'll enjoy it. It's, uh, we got, we've got some great nominators who are going to be joining our podcast. We got Zach Carlson, who you remember from our episodes about Birth and Destroyer. We have Skinner Myers, who you'll remember from our episode about Chameleon Street. He's the director of The Sleeping Negro. We have... Jen Brown, who is the host of the Genre Graveyard show, which was on El Ray and is probably going to be on some really cool network soon. We also had AJ Gonzalez from the Director's Wall, who you know so well, Brian, and, and our, yeah. our, our listeners are somewhat familiar with from being on, the, on our show just last week for our Oscars pro and con episode, and also Nigel Fullerton of the Murphy Monday podcast, who you'll remember from the Meet Dave episode. So all of those, as well as you and I, Brian, are going to be offering our Noscars nominations <laughs> for your listening and viewing pleasure. So, Brian, do you want to you wanna lay out the... the Overall and general parameters for inclusion in the Oscars? Yeah, so what we told everybody and ourselves is that if any movie this year, and, and uh, let, let me backtrack for a second, any movie from the beginning of 2020 all the way up through March of 2021, just because of COVID, they pushed the Oscars, it's a little weird. So we're counting like a year and three months. So any movie released in that time, we are going to consider for this only if they were not nominated for an Oscar at all, like they can't get a nomination for anything. Meaning this is how not on the Hollywood radar these movies are. They don't get even like costume or sound or some of the ones they throw some movies that don't get any other nominations. And we are also including television and streaming because fuck it. Cause this last year we all had to stay home and watch everything on our TVs anyways. So why not just have the awards cover all visual art, visual entertainment, all under one show? Save everyone time so we don't have to do a TV one later. And those are the parameters for inclusion <laughs> in the Oscars. Now, as you've probably heard me saying, we're not picking winners. We are sharing our nominees. Uh, and to be a nominee is to be a winner. You'll All of our nominees will end up on the list that we post or the lists that we post on mm -hmm. our episode page. So listeners can track down these films that we talk yeah. about. It's an exciting array of different, uh, just very little crossover between people's lists. Now I haven't 
seen or heard your list, and you have not seen or heard mine. Yeah, it's. I'm excited to see if there's any crossover, and maybe those are ones that we have to later do a whole episode about, perhaps. Perhaps. I'm just going to, having talked about all of these, because I conducted all the interviews with our nominators, I'm confident to say that I think at least three films that were discussed, that are going to be discussed on this episode, will be future fodder for our podcasts. Maybe more. Maybe more. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Not even, even the one, like, well, we'll, we'll get into it as we, as we talk through them. So just to let you know, this is going to be a, you know, this is, this episode is going to be about as long as the Oscar ceremonies because we have, we take, we take a little bit of time with all of our nominators. So we decided that uh, the best way to kick off our Oscar ceremony is by, uh, well, Focusing on death. (laughs) We've lost, every year we lose so many film people. And one of the things, one of the complaints that there is about the Oscars is that they kind of just rush through the in memoriam and leave people off or show the wrong things. And so basically in between all of our nominations, we're going to have little sections where we're just going to focus on very quickly. We're not going to go really deep, but go through and name some of the film people who have passed in the last year and maybe and uh, try and direct your attention to something that they worked on that probably didn't make the press release when they when they passed. And so uh, so we have a nice little list here for you. Um, in fact, if you don't mind, Brian, I yeah. know this is kind of kind of going off the off the map a little bit, but I just wanted to because we were talking about people who maybe didn't get the obituaries they deserved. And second on our list here is is George Siegel, who yeah. when he died, all of the press said Goldberg star George Siegel. Ugh dies and it was like this guy was a major movie star through the 70s was a a a very uh, critically acclaimed actor like a theater actor working in films like who's afraid of virginia wolf and death of a salesman like major prestige productions and uh one that i'd like to point people to was a film called born to win from the early 70s in which he plays a junkie and he's beautiful and sort of uh, pathetic. And it has a, a, a great little, I don't say cameo, an early role for uh, Robert De Niro as wow. a tough guy and Karen Black's in it. And it's just a wonderful film and nothing against the Goldbergs, but George Siegel de- deserved <laughs> better. So let's, let's go down this list. And I, I don't want to point out this first batch. These are all people that have been nominated for Oscars, but never won. So no, no wins for George Siegel. One nomination, I believe that was for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. All right. So we're, I'm going to start it off with Kelly Preston, who never was nominated for an Oscar, but had four Razzie nominations, one win. Fuck those guys. <laughs> Leave Kelly Preston alone. Yeah. <laughs> But and she shows up in all sorts of crazy movies like uh, 
Amazon Woman on the Moon. She's in the part where the guy has to buy a condom, and it's great. Um, she's in an amazing episode of Tales from the Crypt with William Hickey. She's in Citizen Ruth, the Alexander Payne movie, which I love. She's great in that. She's great in Sky High, the Kurt Russell superhero kids movie. Uh, she's in Twins, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito, Twin Brothers movie. Like, she's in a lot of great things. Also great in the Sam Raimi, Kevin Costner baseball film, For the Love of the Game. Ooh. Uh, grab another one off this list, Brian. Uh, Max von Sydow. Now, people in his obits, they talked a lot about his Bergman films, The Seventh Seal. But you know what? I always knew him as the evil brewmaster in Strange Brew. And I think that's what he should be remembered for. <laughs> we we discussed it a little bit in our Horse's Mouth episode that Max von Sydow, is it Sydow or Sydow? I don't know. I've heard it both ways. Let's say Max von Sydow and just, you know, he's not here to correct us. Sorry, <laughs> Max. Uh, but that he, at a certain, like after Obi-Wan Kenobi, he pretty much just scooped up all the powerful old wizard roles that Alec Guinness <laughs> didn't take. And so for a whole generation of us, he was like a Gandalf character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Flash Gordon, he's very good in Flash Gordon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. How about, oh, here's another one that passed recently, Ian Holm. Mm, I love him. Hard to pick a best performance from Ian Holm. They're all his best performance. Yeah, and we talked about him in our Imposters episode because he was in Big Night, and we mentioned him briefly in that episode. Uh, but I always remember him from Time Bandits as Napoleon. That was like my introduction. I said that before Alien. So I, I, in my heart, he's always like the angry little Napoleon from Time Bandits. <laughs> and uh, did, what do you think of Hal Holbrook's Napoleon? Who was he, Napoleon? I don't in? just made it up. He was in <laughs> it, Mark Twain as, Mark Twain as, as Napoleon. Napoleon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, Hal Holbrook passed away. I really like a movie he's in called Rituals, which is a deliverance ripoff. And it's so good. And because it's like it could have been garbage. But because Hal Holbrook is such a great actor, he just sell he just sells it so well. And also Buck Henry, known mm-hmm. as a comic actor, but probably most revered or respected as a writer of The Graduate, most famously, but also of the film What's Up Doc, which you have recently decided that you love. Thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, the Day of the Dolphin. That was. Directed by Mike Nichols, but was originally the film that uh, that Polanski was supposed to direct, but then didn't because of the <clears throat> of the Manson murders. I think he was doing going to do it as the follow up to Rosemary's Baby, and then uh, To Die For, which we spoke about in our Nicole Kidman Kidmania retrospective. So Buck Henry, uh, I think. He's probably most well-known and beloved for his many, many appearances on the original season of Saturday Night Live, a true classic. Yes. (laughs) He played, what was the character he played where he's like the pervy uncle? Yeah, the creepy uncle, yes. And he, yeah. (laughs) That's a great. Let's, let, (laughs) really, really. You want to mar his memoriam with, <laughs> with something? It was a great skit. Yeah, for you, probably. But for, the, like, for half of our audience, they're like immediately like, 
that's the one thing that did not age well. Why did you bring that up? Okay. Uh, win back some love by talking about Alan Parker. Alan Parker, nominated for two Oscars. Great director, but I've always loved him for Bugsy Malone, the all-child gangster film with uh, Scott Bayo and Jodie Foster where they throw pies instead of shooting guns. That movie is so good. <laughs> right on. Not mentioned in his obit. <laughs> and one more on our first list of in memoriams, someone who did kind of win an Oscar. I'm waiting for you to say her name, Brian. Oh, <laughs> Cicely Tyson. Yes. Uh, got a Lifetime Achievement Award, but was nominated once as well. But she, for me, warms my heart in three Tyler Perry movies, Diary of a Mad Black Woman, Why Did I Get Married 2, and Medea's Family Reunion. And we know how much you love your Tyler Perry, so. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, it, Tyler Perry is such a world is wrong type artist that I feel like I need to qualify when I talk about the fact that you love these films that it's like, and he's not being sarcastic because people, he has no. uh, Tyler Perry has such a reputation for not making great films that when someone sees the greatness in them, it's hard to believe that they actually see it, but you do. And it's there. You've, you've proven it to me. I've taken the temperature. I've... There's genius in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're going to circle back to his movie. I think we might watch one of these uh, Cicely Tyson movies for our show sometime. I feel like it's it's in the it's in the stars. It's going to happen. Crazy Cicely Tyson synchronicity right after recording this whole thing with Brian. The first film I watched was a film called The Comedians that was recommended to me by Stephen Peros, who wrote The Cat's Meow, who is going to be appearing as a guest on an upcoming show, a guest co-host, and The Comedians is one of the films we might be covering. And who's in it? Cicely Tyson. And then the next film I watched was a film called A Man Called Adam, and that's got Sammy Davis Jr. and Louis Armstrong and Ozzie Davis, and guess who? Cicely Tyson. And then I remembered that Cicely Tyson is in fucking Sounder. Excuse me. Sorry. Sounder's a kid's film. And I just felt like the universe, maybe I, I, I'd be honored if it was actually Cicely Tyson's spirit. But I don't know why she would waste that time on me. I imagine that one of the ghosts who haunts me is probably a big Cicely Tyson fan. And they are keeping me honest. And so... Uh, check out those films, uh, A Man Called Adam and The Comedians, especially, and Sounder. I mean, it's Sounder. See that movie. Okay, well, let's move on to our first Noscars nominator, our first guest, a good friend of yours, Zach Carlson, you want to give him a big introduction? Uh, Zach, yeah, he's great. He was uh, one of the lead programmers for the Alamo Drafthouse. He is a champion of all sorts of crazy movies. He co-wrote with me the Destroy All Movies, The Complete History of Punks on film. He had a show on Vice called Outsider, where he talked about obscure filmmakers that a lot of people might not know about. So he's a very film-savvy sort of dude, and I'm very excited to see what movies he picked for 2020 it was his favorites because he definitely is a big movie fan so what did he watch this year let's let's find out 
Welcome to the first annual Noscars ceremony, Zach Carlson. It's great to have you here. I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear your impressive list of 2020 nominees. What are your uh, parameters and how did you form your list? I didn't realize that they made any movies that were released in 2020. I, I had no idea. I, I don't know any, I can't name a single movie. Wait, wait, uh, wait a second. Are you, tell, are you trying to tell us that you haven't watched one new film this year? No, definitely. I have not watched one new film this year. But I did watch one new film the previous year. So in the last two years, I've watched one new film. And that movie was a piece of crap. So I, I just, maybe well, I'm done. Maybe I'm done with new movies. What was that? What was the piece of crap? It was Joker. It was, it was like ridiculous. It was horrendous. Okay. Well, that wouldn't have qualified for an Oscar because it was nominated for right. Oscars. Which is ridiculous. Okay, so this is odd, but I, I'd just like to explore it briefly. Can you see a point in the future, maybe say 10 years from now, where you might revisit one of the films from 2020 just because by then it won't be new? No, I don't hate things that are new. I hate things that are crap. And you just and new things just happen to be garbage most of the time, in my opinion. Like, it's all planned obsolescence and nothing is meant to endure and it's just very disheartening it's depressing wow this is a great way to start off our our Oscar ceremony <laughs> it's very it's very nihilistic <laughs> broadside at the movies in general uh, okay uh well just curious what have you been watching this year i've been getting deep into indonesian action films of the 70s and 80s <laughs> it's been my comfort zone for like the last couple of years um, there's a director named Arizal, and every movie he made is just like a masterpiece of violence. Arizal? How do you, how do you spell that? It's just one name, uh, like Prince and Madonna and all those good people, all those good Americans. Um, but Arizal is A-R-I-Z-A-L. Okay, Arizal. And, uh, for folks who, yeah. like you, want to eschew modern films in favor of Indonesian martial arts films of the 70s. No martial arts. Oh, just Indonesian. Just blunt object trauma. Okay, blunt, uh, just, yeah. sorry, sorry for my uh, cultural stereotyping. For <laughs> Indonesian films of the 70s. Well, uh, can yeah. you can you recommend any standout titles that people should uh, seek out? I would be pleased to. In fact, and this is a totally accidental plug, uh, on our TV series Death Blade, which is just like an action movie, you know, just it's basically an action movie presentation monthly of like an obscure action film. We are showing the Indonesian masterpiece Final Score on museumofhomevideo.com. Yeah, the Final Score is amazing. It's Robert Mitchum's son, Chris Mitchum, who has like none of his father's charisma at all or anyone's charisma. Um, and he's it's basically like you know four guys destroy his family, but he doesn't know who they are, so he decided to basically kill every man in Indonesia. And that's the movie. It's like Chris Mitchum just killing everybody as the hero of the film. So it's insane. He re he literally kills guys with a train in one scene. Like he like, it's, it's unbelievable. It was 1987. 1987, a good year for Chris Mitchum and for killing Indonesians, I guess. Uh, yeah. No, it's, it, those movies are wild. Indonesians, um, they, they didn't have any, the film, the film industry over there had no, uh, safety codes for stuntmen, so they would just do anything. They just like light themselves on fire and like jump into helicopter blades. It's it's really incredible. Wow. Okay. Well, I I have to say there's uh, there's none of that in my 
Noscar's nominees for this year. No lighting, one, no one let themselves on fire and jumped into a helicopter blades. So I guess you could say that's lacking from our list. But now you've 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 added that to our flaming helicopter jump quotient, and now uh, now I feel like we're a more well-rounded podcast. I'm glad to I'm glad to help. I realized I just wanted to interject really quickly the movie that I watched the most in 2020 was Stone Cold starring Brian Bosworth and Lance Henriksen, which I watched, I think, four times in, in 2020. And when did Stone Cold come out? That was, I believe, 1990, maybe 91. Yeah, really great. Really amazing. One, I think one of the three best action films I've ever seen. We'll have to have you back to talk about one of the one of the, the films that manages to get through your very restrictive radar, maybe some sort of Indonesian uh, action film from the 70s. I'm also deep into Filipino uh, superhero movies of the 80s. So I, I'm not, I'm not, I won't watch a Marvel movie, but the Indonesian, I mean, sorry, the Filipino superhero stuff is like gold. And why wouldn't it be? Captain Barbell, She-Man um, is pretty good. And then there's one called Super Inde and the Golden Vibe. Oh, and Super Mouse and the Robo Rats. These are all good Filipino superhero movies. Excellent. Well, uh, I feel like the world is probably wrong about all of them. Probably, because none of them were nominated for an Oscar even one time. Well, you know, we don't care about Oscars. We care. That's why we have the Oscars, is because yeah. the films that don't get nominated are a much richer reservoir of cinema than the films that do. I absolutely agree. And, uh, you, you know, basically, we, can, we count on the Oscars to weed out the obvious choices, and that leaves so right. much for us. And that includes your uh, Filipino superhero films and my love of the kid detective. Wait, I just got to tell you, wait, wait, crazy synchronicity, crazy synchronicity right now while we're talking. Uh -huh. So uh, while we're talking, I just saw a notification and I'm sorry I, that I'm rude. I clicked on it, but it says, you're just going to laugh. So it, it's someone posted two hours ago. So I watched the best worst movie documentary on Tubi after viewing Troll 2. It was a good documentary, but I did not the way, like the way George Hardy talked about the fans at the horror convention he attended. Not to mention people's teeth as his job is as a dentist in life. He seemed like a fun guy until that part. Seeing Andros Jones was nice, but the commentary from George... <laughs> and of course... That's our. That's one of our our few collaborations. One of our three big collaborations in life, Zach. Uh, it's true. Hey, we we were both there. We were both there. Yeah. You know, and I I, I read that without knowing it. I did not know it was going to go negative on your pal. But uh, hey, you well, know what? <laughs> it's nothing compared to you know. It's not like he lit himself on fire and jumped into a helicopter blade. <laughs> well. Uh, <laughs> you know, Filipino action movies from the '80s. Maybe, maybe time is just a construct. Maybe, maybe 2020 is like maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe the Oscars every year should give an award for some movie from 30 years ago. It could only help. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a trip. It was. It was great. Uh. <laughs> Don't don't tune out, people. What? Don't tune out, people. We are going to actually talk about some new films. In fact, <clears throat> Brian. Oh boy! I think it's time to get into your into your nominees. Oh. Let's let's unpack Gosh. this. So I got to ask you what I asked everyone, 
which are yeah. what are your parameters for inclusion as far as your your list is concerned? Well, I mean, I followed the rules that we had set up for our show. But for me, like, I always have a weird list of best ofs. Like, every year I make my favorite movies of the year list because I always like to compare to the world and everyone else. And I'm always never in line with everybody else's, like, the award season's, you know, tastes. And if this were, like, the list, if we didn't have this podcast and we didn't do the Oscars, this would still be my list, only minus Borat 2. Like, that's the only movie that I would have had on this list, but because it's nominated for Oscars, which I'm very excited about, that's not on this list. But these other nine movies would have been the only other nine movies. <laughs> and I included streaming, TV, movies, uh, short films that you can only watch, you know, online, because I think short films are very important to recognize, and I think the Oscars do a, you know, they pick five of them, but I feel they could do a better job of casting the net out i think the ones they pick i don't know what the rules are for them and how they pick short films like it has to play at x amount or whatever basically you have to be someone who has a short film that also has the way to get it to meet their parameters of showing it certain things where a lot of short filmmakers are broke people who just wanted to make a good movie so maybe the, the, you should include a lot more of these <laughs> but i have a short film on here too um i'm not doing i didn't break it down in terms of best you know, actor, director. Um, I will, I do have a few actors and actresses that I want to like point out as being great for, because of these movies. I think best director is stupid. I do not agree with that as an award ever for anything, unless you don't have best picture, which no awards does that. Uh, yeah, ap apologies best... to all of our <laughs> nominators who chose a best director. Like, Brian's like, speaking for himself uh, alone. I'm paying for myself. Like, it's fine. If people want to do it, that's fine. Like, and it's, it's like, and it's makes sense that people would because all awards show do. I firmly disagree. I mean, I basically disagree with the Oscars and breaking awards down in general because it really should be a list of movies and being like, here are the best movies from this year. We all voted and here's 30 great movies. And why break it apart to all these little pieces? Because if the movie's great, everybody who worked in that movie made it great. Down to the caterer. <laughs> and... So best director, if you're the best director, it means you made a movie that's the best picture. It when it's split, it's stupid. I don't like that. I know it has to do with how they vote for it or whatever. That's okay. So these are movies these are these are just the movies that I think are the best. I do have a pick though for best picture out of this list. So I'll maybe just say all of them and then save that one for last. And that I'll they'll we'll do a drum roll and I'll tell you my favorite movie. Sound good? <laughs> Sounds good. I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm terrified. Okay. I'm thrilled. All right. So, first movie on my list is Michael Winterbottom's Trip to Greece. I love these trip movies. I love, actually, better than the movies is the, the BBC show, the actual show, because it's, it's six half-hour episodes, so it's three hours of Michael Caine impersonations as opposed to 90 minutes. So definitely try to find the television version of Trip to Greece. And man, it's so funny. I love these movies. I hope they just keep making them. I know it's kind of hard to do that right now. They should have done a trip to home right now. They should have done one where it's just them in their house eating what's in their fridge and doing um, Roger Moore impersonations. But Trip to Greece, to me, as good as the, the three previous. It's so, so funny. It's, I could watch these guys eat food and do impersonations for, for years to come. Okay, and these guys are? 
You didn't say uh, Steve Coogan and Rob and Rob Bright. Yeah, most people know that, uh, but yeah. there you go. Uh, okay, <laughs> trip to Greece. Now, is this is that working bottom to top, top to bottom, or these are all? These first eight are just kind of. Are these? I'm kind of going from bottom to top. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So this is we're working our way up. Uh, next up, also a TV show, the show Staged. Did you ever see that one? Nope, did not see it. It's uh, David Tennant and Michael Sheen. This was a show made entirely in quarantine. They did two seasons in the last year. And it's them playing themselves, trying to rehearse a play in their home, hoping that once COVID is done, they can do this play. And it's so funny. And I want to uh, point out Michael Sheen in particular as being like very genius in it. He's very good. I actually have two Michael Sheen movies on, on, this, on my list. But it's really funny. It, it's, it's the best thing I've seen so far that used this sort of like Zoom thing as a film. Like it does it very well. It does, it's not obnoxious. And it's definitely worth t- checking out. And it's very, very funny. And there's, there's a great bit with Samuel Jackson on it. Samuel Jackson shows up. And, you know, we all love him here. The world is wrong. <laughs> and he is as good as ever in this show as well. Hmm. I just watched uh, a, a film with Mike uh, with uh, sorry, Michael with Samuel L. Jackson and Michael Sheen from like 2010, 2012 called Unthinkable. I don't recommend hmm. it. It's a very ugly little <laughs> film, but they're both great in it. And uh, Michael Sheen. Yes, he's a great actor. I agree. Uh, next up on my list, another TV show. Ray Winstone's Sicily. It was a travel show where Ray Winstone <laughs> travels around Italy getting drunk and then just kind of talking about life and just sort of, you know, how to enjoy <laughs> your life in Italy. And it's amazing. Like, you don't think of Ray Winstone as being an amazing television host for a travel show, but it's like him and his friends, his him and his wise guy friends just like, in Sicily, eating lots of pasta, drinking lots of wine, being slightly confused by some, you know, culture things. It's great. There's a lot of sweating going on, as you can imagine. Ray Winstone sweats a lot. It's basically the first 10 minutes of Sexy Beast, but as a whole travel show. <laughs> and just don't, just don't don't think it's, it is not Ray Winstone <laughs> playing Cicely Tyson. It's a totally different, it's not his... <laughs> Wayne Winstone's biopic of Cicely Tyson. No, it's a different thing entirely. Okay. But that is definitely worth checking out. Please check it out. Not, uh, strangely, wasn't even in the Oscar conversation. (laughs) I know. Well, so far this is all TV, but not even in the Emmy. I'm I'm also counting things that weren't even up for Emmys. Okay. So I'm going wide here. Uh, Next up, one that is much hated right now. Hubie Halloween by my boy Adam Sandler. This movie, before it even came out, people were shitting on it. People were referring to it as his vengeance for not getting a nomination for Uncut Gems, as if that's how anyone make, can make a movie. Um, but it, uh, it's great. It's him playing a fully formed character that, yes, has a funny voice, but it's a great voice, and it's a great movie, and it has all... The SNL people in it, all his friends, like Steve Buscemi plays his weird neighbor. It's such a fun family kind of comedy. It's like the, this kind of comedy uh, Sandler hasn't made in a while. He hasn't done kind of this sort of broad 
PG sort of like for kids and parents comedy. And it's great. It's Tim Meadows is great in it. Um, it's it's just I'm gonna watch it every October, so like it's now part of a tradition. And unjustly nominated, maybe will win a Razzie. Hopefully not, but you know they hate Sandler, so. It, but I love him, and I like this movie quite a bit. Hate is just a, a wounded form of love from a from a <laughs> broken organization. <laughs> All right, then my next up is one that strangely wasn't nominated for anything, even though it had a lot of critical praise when it came out, and that's Spike Lee's American Utopia, the movie he made with David Byrne, which I thought was fucking great. I loved it. And when it came out, I thought, like, oh, this is going to be, like, up for, like, documentary, or this is going to be a movie that's on people's best of lists. But it was, like, kind of forgotten about. It came out, like, just before, Os- you know, the Oscar season, but I love David Byrne. The music is, of course, great. And it's also just a way to see the show at a time when we're not able to see any shows or concerts at all. So just being able to watch something like this in October when it came out. And Spike Lee is great. And they tie in a lot of great like Black Lives Matter stuff in there. And it doesn't feel forced or anything. It's really, really good. And like, I don't know, I feel Spike Lee was, got the shaft he should have been nominated for a documentary for this movie. Did you watch it? No, no. But I was just thinking that it's funny when you, like the shaft should be like the like an Oscar. Like he should get like, he yeah I got the shaft. He should get the shaft. I got the shaft. The Richard Roundtree. Yeah, award. the Richard Roundtree shaft award. <laughs> that you're badass. You're badass and cool, and you made a great movie. So here's the shaft. Shut your mouth. Um, <laughs> But it's on HBO, or it was. I don't know if it still is. I think it is. So definitely check that out, people. Like it's, it's. I feel it's like it's it's just as good as any concert movie you're gonna see, if not bet way better. It's just like really fun and really smart, and just looks amazing. And I like I like uh, Spike Lee. I think doesn't quite get the credit he should for doing sort of documentaries and fiction. Like like people always talk about like Scorsese doing that or Werner Herzog. But Spike Lee's always done that too. And he's very good at it. Um, and this movie, yeah, this movie is definitely... Uh, and I think it also kind of got buried because more people liked The Five Bloods and they sort of talk about that more than American Utopia. But the fact that he made two movies in one year that people like is pretty great. And neither so. got nominated for an Oscar. So yeah. well, here's a situation where you might say, does directing two great films maybe give him a leg... Like if some... Like, would that be a, a, a situation where you'd say, oh, well, that maybe that's a slightly better director than someone who only directed one film. So maybe I a think, best yeah. director? Would you say, you yeah. might even say that, yeah. that Spike Lee is your best director. That You know what? I'm not going to say it because I don't believe in it, <laughs> but let's imply that, yes, that he would be the best director. Okay. <laughs> Just by that fact. Yeah. Because that is hard to do, and not a lot of directors do that. But whenever they do, I think they're always good, aren't they? Like... The years when like Spielberg did two movies, like he did like Schindler's List and Jurassic Park, both in ninety. Never heard great. of them. Are those were those <laughs> were those movies that were made? The Spielberg guy, who is he? Sounds interesting. Um, he's going places. You'll see. Does you watch? Um, but and I think Steven Soderbergh did that. Yeah, he did Traffic and Aaron Brockovich the same year. So like yeah, like Spike Lee did the same thing. And it's not you know for anyone who's worked on a movie, made a movie, that's not easy. Because making one movie takes up enough of your brain space and takes a year of your life away. The idea of doing two 
in one year. That's that's nutty. That's that's hard work. And just so. I feel like in a weird way, he got extra snubbed by, you know, by the Oscars and the Oscars like they gave him one award. So now we can't we can't talk about him. So since we're talking about him, why not? <laughs> you should also I mean, what's a you know, a year calendar wise, if you add Black Klansmen in there, that's three yeah. pretty phenomenal and important yeah. movies that are all like just right on top of each other. He's making them all at the same time, basically. And who knows what he's working on right, right. now while we're recording this, like <laughs> writing the next thing. Like he's yeah. always doing something. Yep. He's one they should go back and just give awards to like should give him best director for do the right thing in 2021. They should just like keep make up for all the shit that he didn't like Malcolm X That's and all these. Too, yeah, I think that. I'm sure he, I, <laughs> what I would on his on his behalf, like I can speak on his, I would say too little, too late. Nope, you don't get the <laughs> retro. No, you got to wear yeah. those wrong yep. Oscar choices, Academy for the ever, ever. Yep, <laughs> worst worst choice ever. Prop maybe do the right thing. Losing <laughs> to uh, Driving Miss Daisy is like the most like American yeah. fail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that'll forever be a blemish on the Oscars. <laughs> they don't get to take it yeah. back no, when he's old by going back and be like, "Oh, we should have done this." No, nope. yeah, 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 you no, should have. You're right. But... It, it makes it only makes him stronger. <laughs> exactly, um, exactly. <laughs> That's what I love. But yeah, I think you're right. I think because they gave it to him already for screenplay, they're like, "We did our part. We gave him an Oscar. We don't have to see now. The controversy's over." It's like, no bullshit. He didn't get nominated for American Utopia. Come hey, you on. know what? If uh, <laughs> rename the award the Spike Lee, and then maybe we could talk about it. <laughs> but then he still won't get it, and then it's going to be even more upsetting. No spikes okay. for Spike. Okay, keep moving, man. This is this. Yeah. All right. Um, next up is uh, the short film on my list: Goldman versus Silverman, or I think it's known as Goldman v. Silverman. Also starring Adam Sandler in a silent performance. Directed by the Softy Brothers, it came out right after Uncut Gems in January of 2020. It's so good. It's just him as a, as a um, those living statues, the street performer, versus Benny Softy as also another living statue. One is painted gold, one is painted silver, and it's them kind of as dueling living statues in New York City. And it's amazing. And it kind of came and went in a blip because it's a short film and that's not a thing that stays on people's radars. But you can find it online. It's very, very good. Please watch it. Yeah. So it's, at least at least Adam Sandler made a movie that the Razzies did not nominate. Well, <laughs> they don't do short they films. Didn't, they so. didn't see it, you know. I guess <laughs> that hasn't know. stopped him before. But yeah, well, uh, I haven't seen it either. Goldman versus Silverman. Okay, got to check it out. It's really good. All right, now we're getting... Into we're getting to the top three here. Next up is Stephen Freer's movie Quiz, which I guess was more technically a miniseries, also starring Michael Sheen. Uh, it's based on a true story of the kind of game show scandal that happened in I think the mid aughts on their Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. It's so good as is every Stephen Freer's uh, movie and everything he does. He's a, he's one of the most underrated filmmakers. I feel. Like he, I believe, has an Oscar nomination for something. Dangerous Liaison, but probably that's probably. I'm guessing that's probably what it is. But I mean, he's always been good. Like the hit is amazing. High Fidelity is amazing. Like he's one of my favorite filmmakers. And Quiz is as good as anything. It's so well acted. It's so good. 
And I think the standout performances in it are from the, the couple, the couple who was accused of cheating, played by uh, Matthew McFadden and, I'm going to say her name wrong, Cian Clifford, both incredible, so good, and so believable. And it's just an amazing, it's only three hours long, three, three one-hour episodes. Watch it. I think it's on Amazon. It's incredible. It's great. Um, and... I hope we get into some uh, Stephen Frears movies on this show sometime soon. Oh, yeah. You bet. He's one of my favorites, and I know you like him, too. Yeah. He's just he's like, he's just like one of those hardworking guys that I think kind of slip by because he doesn't have a very strong visual stamp. You know, you can't, it's hard to kind of look at a, a frame and go, oh, that's a Stephen Frears thing, which I know a lot of people like in their auteurs. But I think there's also something to be said for someone who constantly makes high-quality things with great performances in it that's his stamp that's a good stamp to have yeah it's the terrence yeah. stamp <laughs> it's the terrence it was stamp. in the hit right yeah okay. yeah uh, boy all I right got nervous now there we're in the left okay keep going <laughs> no you're right two left two left we're in the top two here number two the wrong missy the day oh yeah so good again the assholes at the razzies nominated for a multitude of awards they're so, so wrong. We should just change the name of the show to The Razzies Are Wrong Sometimes. <laughs> but this movie is great. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, David Spade. Like, uh, I don't think he's funny. Like, no, no, no. This is really, really good. And I, I mean, I personally have always liked David Spade. Like, I love Joe Dirt. I love uh, Joe Dirt, too. Uh, Dickie Roberts. Like, all that stuff to me is very funny. But this may be his best movie. It's so good. And to me, the two standout performances, Lauren Lapkus as oh. as the wrong Missy is so yes. good. She, I want to yeah. see more of her. She is incredible in this movie. She is so funny. And that's a hard role to do because it could be just played as very obnoxious and kind of get grating. But there's like a strange amount of heart there. And you really like her by the end of the movie like this could have been the type of movie where it's like oh he's like this lady is just annoying and driving him crazy and driving the audience crazy you want to tell you want to tell really quickly what the wrong missy's about sure basically very briefly it's it's david spade is sort of like trying to go on blind dates with people and then pretty simple premise he accidentally texts the wrong person like he like gets the numbers crossed basically in his phone thinks he's texting this hot babe that he can't wait to meet in Hawaii for a wedding and do this whole thing and ends up accidentally hooking up with the completely wrong person, the person he really doesn't want to be with. And it's, it kind of has that classic sort of it happened one night screwball comedy thing where it's two people who don't get along having to share a hotel room and be stuck in this place for days on end. And then ultimately hopefully maybe fall, falling in love with each other. Very, very funny. Very good. I also want to point out that Jeff Pearson is amazing in it as as his boss, as David Spade's boss. And World is wrong favorite, Jeff Pearson. I know, right? He He's in, what, we've done, what, two or three movies now with him. And, uh, yeah, he's great. And there's one part in particular where he gets hypnotized into really thinking that David Spade is incredibly funny. And is, is, it's really good. <laughs> it's really, really good. Was there a... Was there a a stunt in this one that you particularly liked? I mean, there was. But 
Not this. Is, I have a best stunt for my number one movie, not for this. Oh, one. okay. Is there a stunt no, I, you like in this one? <laughs> well, yeah. When Lauren Lapkus falls yes. off of a cliff, yeah, and she just does some um, some great physical comedy <laughs> in the Adam Sandler universe tradition. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, good. Uh, I, I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you celebrated this film, and I I I just want to second, particularly on uh, Lauren Lapkus. Yeah. Oh man! All right. So my favorite movie of for for my favorite movie for the Oscars for 2020 is the Impractical Jokers movie. This is hands down the best movie of the last year. It's so good. It's it's my favorite movie of the year. This was a movie going in. Well, when it first came out in theaters, I was really excited to see it in theaters, and then COVID happened, and I couldn't go see it. And then I finally was able to watch it on television a year, like just a few months ago. And unlike the Jackass movies, but more like Borat, there's an actual plot. Like if, believe it or not, the Impractical Joker. So this is based on, if people don't know, there's a show that's on, I think, syndication called The Impractical Jokers. It's been on for like 10 years. It's a kind of show that you'd catch in a hotel room at 2 a.m. when you need to fall asleep. And you're like, what's on TV? What's this? And it's just like five aggressively East Coast men pranking each other. That's sort of the the joke is they pull pranks on each other and then they kind of try to top each other's pranks. It's very feels in that kind of world of jackass. But there's a plot to this movie and it and the, and the acting is actually great. They're actually really good. And it's very funny. And this is a movie that nobody saw, that nobody gave a chance to. Uh and it's totally worth checking out. It's like, it's good that movies like this are keeping kind of slapstick alive. And there's a stunt at the end, and I don't want to say what it is, but there's a stunt where one of the guys is actually doing the stunt. And it's one of the best stunts I've seen in a movie in a long time. It's really amazing. Uh, please, There's also a great celebrity cameo in it that I won't give away. It's one of the weirdest cameos I've ever seen because they literally... Or just in the background and don't say or do anything. And then for a second you're like, wait, is that is that who that is? And then it was. And for some reason, maybe they were just at that restaurant and didn't know they were in a movie. I don't think so. I think it's intentional and it's brilliant. Uh, and of course, it stars also the great Paula Abdul, who you don't see in a lot of movies. So those wow. those are my Noscars. Those are my non-minis and winners all at once. You think this terminology is going to take off? It's hard for you to it's say. It's hard to say. Non-minis. <laughs> Noscars, non-minis. Noscars, nanamana. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, let's see what the audience's response is. Oh, no. We don't have an audience to go to right now. Uh, that's that's quite a list. I'll Just to rattle them off again, that's... Trip to Greece, Staged, Ray Winstone's Sicily, Hubie Halloween, American Utopia, Goldman versus Silverman, Quiz from Stephen Frears, The Wrong Missy, and your favorite film of the year, The Impractical Jokers. Good job, Brian. Thank you. <laughs> There's, I, if I told you how much crossover there is on our list, it's, I don't want to do, Zero. give anything away. <laughs> I have a feeling that uh, I, I have a feeling that Skinner may like impractical jokers. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll see. We'll see. We'll so, see. So, 
Uh, <laughs> well, before we before we get to Skinner, let's uh, let's keep the laughs going with our second in memoriam section. <laughs> let's kick it off with uh, with uh, an actor who I had the good fortune to act in a film with back in the early '90s, a film called Tripwire, and the great actor Yafit Kodo. Uh, Tell us a, a little bit about Yafit Kodo. Oh, Brian. I love him so much. Like, and it was sad because in his obits. They mentioned movies that I like, but it was really like James Bond villain and alien actor Yafit Kodo passed away. I like those movies a lot, but he's so much more than those two movies. Like when he can really uh, be allowed to be in a movie and be like the star or just be like, like just a like he's one of the great actors in my opinion. Like I, I really like the movie Bone, the Larry Cohen movie where he just breaks into a rich couple's house and just kind of takes over. It's a really weird movie. It's a very complicated movie. Maybe doesn't age so well. I don't know. I don't quite understand the intentions of the movie exactly or what the satire is about, but it's very interesting. And then I also love, love him in Homicide Life on the Street as G, as Lieutenant uh, Giadello. He, that is one of my favorite characters in any TV show ever. He is on fire in that show. And he directed some episodes of that show and they're the best. They are really, really good. Yeah. Also notable, uh, maybe uh, like a, one of this, one of those, like uh, a, an unheralded gem that everyone recognizes as an unheralded gem. So I don't know where it really rates now, but a film like blue collar mm -hmm. is, is huge for him with him and Richard Pryor and Harvey Keitel, and uh, also just watched it last night across 110th oh, Street with so Anthony Quinn. Good, really goes yeah. toe to toe with Anthony Quinn, and they're just two heavies working yeah. together. It's oh, just yeah. fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, um, I want to give a shout out to Lynn Shelton from the Northwest, the director of Hump Day. I was what sort of put her on the map. Uh, and films like Your Sister's Sister and Laggies. She directed a lot of TV shows, uh, a bunch of episodes of Glow and of Little Fires Everywhere. And uh, yeah, just check out her filmography. If you're going to check out one film as an entry point, I recommend Sword of Trust, her most recent. I think it, may be, I think it was her most recent film before she passed. Uh, it, it stars Mark Maron. And she plays a role, Lynn Shelton plays a role in it. And it's a it's a great doorway into a great filmmaker who we lost too early. She is awesome. Uh, tell us about Orson Bean. <laughs> Orson Bean, you may recognize as being the boss in Bean John Malkovich. He's like the guy who, like, is he like the boss right of the floor where John Cusack works? Yeah, the, yeah. the half floor. Yeah, the half floor. He is so good in that movie. I mean, that's a movie that's definitely always worth watching, but he his performance is very, very fun in there, and he's having a good, he's well, well used. And it's a great name, Orson Bean. That's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> we also lost our, our one of our favorite directors, Michael Apted. We talked mm -hmm. about him a lot in our Thunderheart Incident at Oglala episode. You want to pick one Michael Apted film? that you think people should check out that that's hard they're also you know what i love his james bond movie a lot but i also really love the squeeze the squeeze is great the stacy keach it's a stacy yeah. keach sort of 
heist movie, crime movie. Very, very good. Very underrated. I I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, his mini or uh, not mini series. His HBO series Rome was pretty amazing in terms of a feat of production, and I'm quite partial to Continental Divide, the film he did with John Belushi and Blair Brown. But you kind of can't go wrong with Michael Apted, and of course we do recommend you check out our Thunderheart incident at Oglala episode where we go in depth. What, which one was his Bond film? You said you liked his Bond film, but you didn't say the name. Uh, the World, the is, world not is, enough, is Not Enough, which is, I think, one yeah, of the best I really ones. dug it. Um, how about your, your, your hero, Wilford Brimley? <laughs> I love Wilford Brimley. He's so good. And the fact that he died this year means that this was the year that he was an old man. Not when he made Cocoon 40 years ago. <laughs> that was him in old man makeup. Uh, he was only, fun fact, in Cocoon, he was only 49 years old. Uh, but held his own against Dom Amici uh, as being an old man in Hume, Hume Crone. But uh, he's great. I really like him in The Thing, of course. But he's also really good in Tender Mercies. He plays sort of like a manager type character, like country music manager. And he's really good in that movie. I love Wilfred Brimley so much. Oh, and Hard Target. Hard Target, the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. He plays Jean-Claude Van Damme's Cajun uncle. His, his, and he's got his deep Cajun accent. Or he's Creole. He's got the French He's got the French accent. And he's so good. So if you want to see Wilfred Brimley like kill somebody with a bow and arrow, please check out the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, Hard Target. Yeah. Yeah, I remember his appearance in the Sidney Pollock, Paul Newman film, Absence of Malice. He had just he just has one scene where he kind of both puts Paul Newman down and also builds him up in this just really great uh, moment of authority acting from an actor who we didn't know yet as someone as like that authority. That's from 1981. But he was just one of those guys who could just come in as a character actor and, and stop a scene in mm. its tracks in the best possible way. And yeah. I also and we also should shout out to Ivan Passer, who directed Born to Win, the film that I mentioned earlier the when I was talking about George Siegel. Also, a really great film. I don't know if the world is wrong about, but it would still be really fun to talk about and do an episode about is Cutter's Way. Oh, yeah. so good. Yeah. That movie is great. Yeah. People, yeah. there might be too many people who like it for us to say that the world is wrong about it, but I still feel like not nearly enough people know Cutter's Way from Ivan Passer. Yeah. So let us move on now. We are ready to introduce our next Noscar nominator. That is Skinner Myers. He was on the Chameleon Street episode. He's the director of The Sleeping Negro. He is a professor of film currently teaching at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, California. And he has a pretty great list. So let's just go to that conversation now. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com 
or follow us on Instagram at the world is wrong podcast. And now back to the show. Welcome to the Oscars, Skinner Myers. Hello. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for coming back. Fans of the show will remember you from our Chameleon Street episode. That's right. And you have your Noscars nominees ready to go. Can you tell us what your parameters for inclusion were? Uh, for me, it was films and actors and actresses who really, um, I felt like, put the heart and soul either into the movie or, or behind the performance. You know, they were raw performances that came across super authentic, did not feel like they were performances in a way. For the movies, they really had to, you know, basically critique uh, this the world that the characters are living in, in a way. And for me, it was it was all about the form, too, right? The, if the film was impressionistic or somewhat experimental or somewhat slow where it just allowed us to be with the characters that were in the movie like that really stood out for me so kind of was looking for films that purposely did not fit the mold of any type of you know hollywood movie or structure and that was about it that's what i was counting on when i invited you (laughs) (laughs) listeners you're welcome this (laughs) we we are we're not just going to be telling you you should see films that everyone else is telling you to see your performances other people are telling you to see Skinner I knew Skinner would would take a deep dive and a deep cut so why don't we start with uh moving from bottom to top of your list you have basically you've you've chosen three categories best actor best actress and best film yeah so why don't we just start with your Oscar for Best Actor. Best Actor. Okay, cool. Yeah, so my nomination was for Obina Nachuku. I think I'm probably butchering his last name, but he's an actor who played the character Jay in the film Residue. I believe he's from D.C. area, and he has a background in theater. I've never met him before, but he was just... Oh, man. The performance was just heartbreaking and so authentic and rich. I think... You know, it was his first movie, actually, I think, that he that he had done. And it reminded me, you know, like when I first saw Marlon Brando on Streetcar Named Desire, you know, it was like it was like uh, watching him in Residue was like, man, I hadn't seen this type of performance in a long time. And um, one, I wanted to hang out, wanted to stay with that character for a long time, way beyond when the movie ended. And. At the same time, I felt so, I felt like it was speaking to me personally, his performance in a lot of ways. He's a filmmaker. In the movie, he plays a filmmaker going back home to, to make a movie about his old neighborhood. And when he gets back home, we realize that like, gentrification has really taken over and it's not what it used to be. And he's trying, it's all, it speaks to identity, loss of identity, um, trying to reclaim something that is a part of you, losing that thing that's a part of you. And so he, his, his performance is super nuanced, understated, effortless. It seemed like he wasn't even, you know, acting. He was just being. And so for me, that was, I was like, that has to be my person for this nomination uh, because it was just 
hands down all around, and I think he's going to have a great acting career in front of him, you know? Obina Nachukwu. And yeah. uh, a film that I have not heard of yet called Residue. Ooh. So now I get to add it to my growing list of films that have been recommended in this uh, episode that I wasn't aware of yet. So I just love it. Yeah. You, you just think that you've heard of all the movies in any given year, and then you just talk to four or five different people, and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> I, there are more movies that I haven't heard of than that I have. That's right. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay. Right. So, Obina Nachukwu for Residue. Check it out, folks. Obina Nachukwu. So, yes, please, please. And that is available on Netflix. So. That's right. That's right. Released by Array, Ava DuVernay's distribution company. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, add it to your list. And why don't we move on to the Oscar for Best Actress? Who do you have for us? The best actress, I'm going to go with Amara J. St. Aubin. She played Martha and um, Steve McQueen's Lover's Rock. And I believe this movie was her first movie as well. I don't think she's ever acted in a film before. But the, her, she was, had such a powerful presence as Martha. And so, like, I just, she was juggling having a friend with her, trying to have a good time at this house party, meeting a guy. And it's just like she handled all these different scenarios as, a, as an actress brilliantly, seamlessly, like, basically weaving out in between different types of tones and moods. And there's a scene where she stands up for another woman who's about to be uh, sexually assaulted. And it's just, so much uh, power in her performance, but she, the range, and basically the range was like amazing to me. It was, if she was a singer, she would have a five and a half, five and a half octave range in terms of what this performance gave me. So she's my, my nomination. Um, I think she is brilliant and uh, I, she's going to have a great career as well. Uh, someone who I would love to work with in the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh well, I, I want to dig in a little bit. Did you watch the whole of the Small Axe series? No, I did not. I only watched Lover's Rock. So I thought, um, I mean, I thought Lover's Rock is probably Steve McQueen's best film that he's ever made. There's so many things that are amazing about it. But the biggest thing for me was that it was the first time I've ever seen Steve just let a story be without trying to make it something that is not, not or, 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 or putting it together in a way that um, constantly tries to keep your attention. This thing was just like, yo, this is how it was to be black in England in the 80s. Um, and it was so fun because I felt like I, it was almost like I was part of the party, the way it was shot and kind of structured. It was just great to see, even knowing that certain, outside there was like white supremacy and racism and all the things that would happen to that neighborhood inside the house was like uh, a sanctuary. And even within that, there were some people even within the, that community that were doing dirty things and shady things, but you got, you saw how the majority of the people 
you know, protected each other, took care of each other. Just, just so many things that he was able to speak upon in, in only an hour and, you know, six minute movie. And, uh, I don't know. It was just, it was so immersive and I love it because it didn't really have a plot. And those are the types of stories I really love. You don't have a plot. You just, you just exist with these characters in this moment in their lives. You know, I will get around to watching the rest of it, but I have not watched the other one. You're not alone in terms of your love for this film. I'm really glad that it is getting, uh, you're giving it some Oscars love because obviously it qualifies. It was not yeah. nominated for any actual Oscars. That's right. So your best actress goes to Amara J. St. Aubin. And mm -hmm. so let's now move on to the best film, Oscar from Skinner Myers. All right, so the best film, Oscar, it, for me, it was a toss-up between Lover's Rock and Residue, but I'm going to have to go with Residue, only because Steve McQueen has amassed a, a brilliant career, and Residue is the first feature of Malari Garima, who is the son of the legendary Haile Garima from the L.A. Rebellion. And, um, you know, actually, his his father's films are pretty amazing. Also, too, I should say this. His mom, Shirakiana Aina, is also from the L.A. Rebellion. She's a brilliant filmmaker as well. So he's the son of two legendary black radical filmmakers. And he made residue um, in between his last years of film school at USC. And so it's an impressionistic, ethereal, personal film that really, for me, encapsulates like what it feels like to lose your sense of community, to lose your identity, to lose friends, right? And so um, I have to give it the Oscar, right? More over Lover's Rock because, you know, we know Steve McQueen is a brilliant filmmaker, but I think Malawi is going to do some amazing things in his career. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's poetic, it's poetry, it's, it's like disjointed, it's jazz. It's exactly what the black experience in America is, right? It's, uh, you know, the displacement of not having a home anymore. You're a refugee in, a, in your own country. Uh, just the aesthetic of it, the pacing, the rhythm, the performances, the music. It's part documentary, it's part narrative, it's docufiction, all those things. And so I think it's just an amalgamation of brilliance. And so it gets my, my Oscar for best film. Oh, thank God someone who actually saw movies. And I would have been worried if his answer was like Zach's. If he was like, ah, if he had also only watched Filipino action movies from the 70s. <laughs> so I'm glad that he actually watched movies. And dare I say, maybe add some uh, prestige to this uh, episode by picking like legit movies that aren't. Uh, you know, starring Adam Sandler or Impractical Jokers. But hey, we we love we love them all. So I have not actually seen Residue or Lovers Rock. Have you? Did you? Have you seen any of Small Acts? No, I've actually never seen a Steve McQueen movie ever because I know I'm gonna love them, and I want to watch them in order. But they all kind of look very depressing, <laughs> and like I know someday it's gonna happen, and I'm gonna have like a whole month where I just like burst through with the Steve McQueen. Uh, 
And the fact that he did Lover's Rock and just dumped five movies on me in like a day, I'm like, oh shit, now my list of his movies I have to watch is even longer. But that's great. It's very exciting. I, that's the, like, as much as people want to complain about like, oh, streaming's killing movies and uh, like these corporations are just... Like, the fact that they let a director make five movies at once is amazing. Like, that's so exciting to me. So I'm definitely going to watch Lover's Rock very soon. Did you... Yeah. I never even heard of Residue. So... Well, uh, yeah, so I did see Residue after Skinner's recommendation, and I'll give you a, a sort of a peek into my list is that I am prioritizing films that are not on other people's lists, mm-hmm. but if this weren't on Skinner's list, this would be right up there at the top of mine. Wow. One of the top three films I've seen this year. Uh, I don't even really... I don't even really know how to describe it. Skinner did a great job. And one of the things he did a great job at was enticing me without telling me anything specifically about it. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's a great performance, brilliant, like not experimental because I don't want to scare people off. It's not experimental. It just it doesn't feel like it's a film that's being made to connect the dots because a film must be made, but it's a film that is a true expression. And it has a a great, like right up to the last shot, you are fully in this film and it's easy to see in the sense that it's easy to find. And yeah, I, yeah, I, I really, I really loved it. Uh, as, yeah, yeah, I loved it. I, I do. And I've been thinking about how to talk about it because I knew we were going to talk about it. So I could just say uh, I recommend it. Nice. And uh, as for small acts, I I also have not I have not I have sort of the same experience with Steve McQueen that you have had. But I totally devoured these five episodes of small acts. And it's uh, I think it's a good I think it's a good entryway. It's, okay, maybe it's, I'll start there and then work my way back. So uh, we're going to be going to a conversation with Jen Brown in a minute. But first, let's dig into some more of the great yeah. cinema artists who have left us in this last year. Why don't you start with the top of the list there? So uh, Robert Conrad, known for being the star of the Wild Wild West TV show, passed away. You may know Someone him. Someone finally knocked that... Uh, battery off his shoulder <laughs> Do you remember those commercials he was in these commercials in the 70s where it was like ever ready i dare you to knock this off my shoulder <laughs> so in the end the, batter- the batteries won uh <laughs> they always he- do but uh, you youngins may recognize him as one of the cops in jingle all the way so oh yeah okay is that what you'd recommend yeah i love that movie and that movie's definitely yeah. hated and he's very funny in it, and like it's him, you know, going toe to toe with Arnold, and Phil Hartman and Sinbad. Like that's a great movie. Yeah, and just to just so people are cognizant of this, this list and our previous list that began with Yafet Kodo, none of these folks have nominations. No, nope. at all have zero nominations. So this next actor is going to blow your mind that this actor has no. Oscar nominations. I would have sworn he got one for something. Yeah. Brian Dennehy. What? He not won? 
not one like think of all of those best like the who was winning best supporting actor every year that he was acting if it wasn't Brian know, like, it's like I'm trying to even like wreck my brain of like who that would be. Yeah, that's that's insane. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, we talked about him in our episode on 10. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a I loved him in semi tough. Yeah. On, that's yeah. on the list here. Uh, belly of an architect that seems like that's like a big that was like an why didn't how come he didn't get an oscar nomination for that because of the title uh, probably uh i love him in first blood i think he's great in first blood oh yeah uh the fx movies do you remember those with with the other brian brian brown mm-hmm. those are good uh also in cocoon um yep yeah, yeah. silverado is great yeah, he's good in that. Very it's a, a conflicting character. Did you ever see Bestseller with him and James Woods? No. That's uh it's it's uh written by Larry Cohen and it's about uh hitmen and writers. <laughs> oh, so check, well, that sounds good. Yeah, he's great. I love like it's crazy he wasn't nominated for something. He's just one of those people that like you just like you always depended like he was just a very dependable actor. Like he would show up in something and you just knew that you'd be fine. Like, you know, like he's going to be good in this, whatever this movie ends up being, he'll be very good in it. Yeah. Tommy boy. Yeah. He's great at Tommy boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tommy easily. Like, isn't he just basically Tommy man? Yeah. He's Tommy that... man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Moving on, moving on. See you. Good job, Brian Dennehy. You you carried a carried a lot of films for us. Uh, moving on, who's who's next on the list uh, here? Mary Pat Gleason, who is in many of the uh, Happy Madison films. She was in Blended. She was in Bucky Larson. She was in I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry. She was always just like the sweet looking old lady, and very good at like you still like those are roles that movies need. Those roles are filled by actors. They're always very good, and then they're always sadly overlooked because people just take for granted that you need a sweet, old-looking lady in your movie. But she's character now. Would uh, she also had? Would you say sweet? She kind of had a tough. She, she also yeah, played tough. Like a, tough. Like, I mean, no nonsense, sweet old lady. <laughs> yeah, like I could, like I imagine her playing prison guards and <laughs> like lovable, tough. You know, uh, anyway, uh, moving on to Terry Jones of Monty Python fame. Uh, he always struck me as one of the the sort of like if there was a secret weapon, like they're all so famous. But he is sort of like maybe the last guy people think of, but also was one of the best writers. Yeah. I mean, he wrote Labyrinth. Yeah. Uh, and Eric the Viking, yeah. two non-Python movies that, are great. that both have like a, this. Yeah, they're they're both great, and they have Python-ish qualities, but they don't really feel they don't feel like Python movies either. Yeah, I mean Eric the Viking more so. Yeah, would you agree about that? Oh yeah, and I think if the Pythons were the Beatles, would you say that he was the George Harrison? Yes and no. I mean, the numbers don't quite line up, so you'd have to group a few. I feel of them like it's more like if they were the Rolling Stones, he'd be Brian Jones. Ah, yes. Yeah. Like he's the sort of quirky weirdo. He's not the like the 
I don't know. Maybe the, these al- the, none of these analogies work. He's just fucking Terry Jones. <laughs> he's great. Uh, I think he's, that, I, he's Pete the be- he's the Pete best of the. He's, he's the most underrated of the pythons. I feel like yes. he's the one that like people yes. kind of know the other ones more. But he was the one that kind of went under the radar. And like Terry Gilliam, also directed movies, but his movies just didn't quite get the same acclaim and credit that Terry Gilliam's movies did, which is too bad because they are great. Like Labyrinth and Eric the Viking are both very good movies. He didn't direct Labyrinth. No, he just wrote it. But like, it's a great movie. Yeah. 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 Moving on down the list, Paula Kelly, who people will recognize from Soylent Green. And uh, are, are you a fan of Trouble Man? I liked. I used to have the soundtrack. It's that's a very good movie. Oh well, yeah, the soundtrack's amazing. Yeah. yeah, never got an Oscar nomination. Nor did our next. Uh, I don't. Know, our next person that we are going to be celebrating as he has passed is the great Little Richard. Yeah. Who, people might remember for his role in Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good in that movie. But I, I'm. I'm just a big fan of him being Little Richard in The Girl Can't Help It. His his performances in that are some of my favorite early rock and roll movie performances. I want to suggest the Purple People Eater movie, the movie based on the song. He's in that, as is the great Ned Beatty. That's a great movie. I think it's only on VHS. Check out Purple People Eater with Little Richard. Little Richard and Big Ned. As they, yeah, they went out on the road, <laughs> and uh, and then uh, do you want to do this last one? Yeah, we're included. It's, this one's kind of after the cutoff, but we wanted to include it because we did an episode where we talked about him. The great DMX passed away very recently, and we talked about him in the Chris Rock film Top Five, and he has my favorite scene in the movie where he sings. Uh, Charlie Chaplin smile in a prison cell and it's one of my favorite movie scenes ever and yeah just like R.I.P. DMX and with that let's go to our interview with Jen Brown who I met when she was the host of the Women in Caskets podcast with her co-host Don Humphrey they have since gone on to produce the TV series Genre Graveyard and her list of nominees is very exciting and unique, and let's go to it now. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now... Back to the show. Welcome to the Oscars, Jen Brown. Oh, Andres, I could not possibly be more pleased that you invited me to be a part of this. I am so excited to know who your Oscars nominees are. So, first of all, why don't you tell us the parameters that you use to determine your nominees? So parameters, A, this should be an obvious one. I had to have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I have had to have seen the film. 
I could have seen it in 2019. However, if that's only because I go to a lot of film festivals. So a couple of these movies came out on the festival circuit in 2019, but actually didn't hit a wide release streaming until 2020. So most of these movies came out, or I saw them in 2020. A handful I saw uh, in 2019, but no one else could really see them until last year. So they count. That Those are pretty much my parameters. And what did I love the most? What do I feel needs to get celebrated? And honestly, there's maybe one or two movies nominated for Oscars that like would have made my list, this list, but like maybe. Like this list is not affected by, like I didn't have to really dig or try to figure out what what I liked that wasn't nominated for an Oscar because 99% of my favorite things weren't nominated. So this was really easy for me in that regard, which makes me happy. So it gives me a chance to highlight what I like to highlight in film, specifically, which a lot of these movies do on my list, are the blending of multiple, blah, multiple, multiple genres. And if there are three categories, then that would be a multiple. Right, category. right. Yeah. I think you should start using uh, that. I, you know what? I think I will. But there is a lot of horror. A lot of the movies on this list could be considered horror because that is my favorite genre because it is so flexible and you can shove so many genres into horror while it's still being a horror movie, which is what I love about it. Okay, so what are your categories? Best film, which in this case is more specifically best hybrid film. (laughs) Because really, like I said, all these movies are a beautiful mishmash of other genres. Mm -hmm. And then I have best horror film. So two best film categories. Okay. Then I have... Best lead performance by a female identifying person, best lead performance by a male identifying person, and uh, best supporting by female uh, and best supporting by male. Okay. And best director. <laughs> okay. Script. Or, well, actually, no, yeah, script. I'm going to leave off this other one. Yeah, script. And, uh, and then I have a best cast and an MVP, which are just... Not nom like there aren't multiple options. There's just like no. This is clearly the one winner for this category. This is clearly the one winner for this category. <laughs> okay, well then let's just dig into this. You want to start with the films and work your way down to the MVP or the other way around. I think that is the perfect order to do this in. Okay, well then, why don't you give us your list of films, Jen Brown? Absolutely, my. Top five hybrid films for 2020 in no particular order are Knives and Skin by Jennifer Reeder. <sighs> that freaking movie. 12 Hour Shift, directed and written by Bria Grant. Oh, Knives and Skin was also written and directed by Jennifer Reeder. Mm-hmm. Possessor which was by Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, Swallow, which I got in this morning because I didn't realize that it had been released fully and I'd been wanting to see it. And holy shit, did it run up a fucking tab on this list really fast. Okay. (laughs) So Swallow, which was written and directed by 
Carlo Mirabella Davis. Oh, crap, that movie. And then Blow the Man Down, which is an absolutely brilliant first feature from a duo of directors, Bridget Savage-Cole and Danielle Crudy. And that is my that is my top five for best films. At the end of this, we were yes. going to have you pick the number one from that. So let's just keep moving down your categories here for those scoring okay. at home. We are now moving on to best horror film. Yeah, specific. Now, we as we in the, in your announcement, you you are a you are a horror aficionado, so it makes sense I am. that that is your focus. So, what are your nominees for best horror films? My nominees for best horror film. I always feel like I have to over pronunciate it because so people, people don't like, think that they're horror films. Films yeah, about yeah. horrors. Uh, yeah, the great. F- yeah, that's a that's a genre in <laughs> itself. You know, uh, Andras, it's sex worker now. Thank you very much. A sex worker with a heart of, of yes. a valuable metal, as opposed to a yes. whore with a heart of gold. There you go. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> best horror film. The nominees are After Midnight, Bit, B I T. Lucky, His House, Extraordinary, and Come to Daddy. I love these suggestions because I haven't seen any of them. And so far on your all of your lists, only one of the films is one that I had even heard of before talking with you in our preparations for this. So this is a great service to our listeners. uh, Expanding the field of Noscar's nominees. Now moving on, let's move on to the acting performances. Best lead female. Do you want to start with lead female or do you want to start with the supporting actors and work up to leads? Ooh, I, I like that. Let's do supporting and then go up to lead. Let's do this. Best Supporting Female in a Film. Absolutely love this list. It starts off with Chloe Farnworth from 12 Hour Shift. So, oh, so good. Next is Marika Engelhart for Knives and Skin. Jennifer Jason Lee in Possessor. Mm. And Margot Martindale in Blow the Man Down. Okay. Let's move on to Best Supporting Actor. We have David Arquette for 12-Hour Shift. Mm-hmm. Stephen McHattie in Come to Daddy. Mm-hmm. And John Turturro for The True Adventures of Wolf Boy. Wow. I have not even heard of that one, and I consider myself a Turturro fan. Okay, so is that is are those your three nominees? Yep. Okay. Well, let's move on. That's an impressive list. Let's move on to the to the lead actor performances, and let's start with the best. How did you say it again? Male representing. Uh, identifying. Male identifying. Sorry. Thank you. Sorry and thank yes. you. I should just go around saying <laughs> that constantly. Sorry and thank you. It's like uh, what, yeah, it's like a mantra. Okay, yeah. so. Lay them on us. So for best lead male identifying performance, my nominees are Jeremy Gardner for After Midnight, Elijah Wood 
in Come to Daddy, Christopher Abbott in Possessor, and Jaden Martell from The True Adventures of Wolf Boy. And now we move on to the, well, to the uh, the the queen of actors. Yeah. The best <laughs> female identifying lead performance. Lay it on us. Bria Grant in Lucky. Mm-hmm. Angela Bettis in 12-Hour Shift. Uh-huh. Andrea Risenborough in Possessor. Wait, Riseboro. I never, I always say her name wrong. I think it's Riseboro. Andrea Riseboro in Possessor. Okay. Haley Bennett in Swallow. Mm-hmm. And Sophie Gianna Moore in The True Adventures of Wolf Boy. How have I not heard of this film? I don't know, because it seems to be sweeping the nominees. <laughs> okay, and we're going to go through, and you're going to name your number one at the end of this. But yes. we're going to keep going through your lists. So you have we have three other categories to go through. We have the director. We have the best script, the best cast, and the most valuable performer, the MVP. So let's move on to the director. Category. For our director category, our nominees are Jennifer Reeder for Knives and Skin, Bria Grant for 12-Hour Shift, okay. Brandon Cronenberg for Possessor, mm-hmm. Carlo Mirabea Davis for Swallow, Got it. and Bridget Savage-Cole and Danielle Crudy for Blow the Man Down. Moving on to the best script category. Who are your nominees? My nominees are Carlo Mirabea Davis for Swallow. And also, I never know because, like, I'm, I am Mexican. However, my dad was a big, tall uh, Swedish white guy. So, obviously, that's why I got the last name Brown. But my mother's made in Esperales. And I, I never know <laughs> with fellow uh, uh, Latinx people, like, if they have, because like my agent is Jorge, but he also lets people call him George. So I don't know if Carlo goes by uh, Mirabella or uh, Mirabea, which it's a double L, so it should be. But like, I'm going to say it both ways. Just know that I don't know which way Carlo pronounces it. <laughs> but we can be sure that Swayo is called Swallow, not Swayo. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, for Swallow, Bria Grant for Lucky, Bria Grant for 12-Hour Shift, Bridget Savage-Cole and Danielle Crudy for Blow the Man Down, and Olivia Dufault for True Adventures of Wolf Boy. And you have two other categories that have just one winner. There are no, there's no groupings of nominees. That's your best cast and MVP. And why don't, actually, why don't we work our way back up to Best Picture? Why don't we start with your Clever. MVP and work our way back up? Absolutely. My MVP of 2020 is Bria Grant. Not only did Bria Grant write two of the movies on my list, uh, my non monies she also is the lead, uh, or supporting lead, in After Midnight. She also 
was the lead in Lucky, which she wrote, which is also nominated. Um, and she also directed 12-Hour Shift, which she also wrote. So that woman had a freaking banner year in 2020. And if she doesn't get every meeting she wants, I'm going to be busting some heads. Because she has been around for quite a long time. She is wickedly talented on multiple levels and a really nice person in general. As full <laughs> full disclosure, she is a friend of mine. But that is not why <laughs> she's getting all these nominations. She's getting these nominations and MVP for being a fucking badass. Bria Grant, you are Jen Brown's most valuable performer, player, person in film in 2020. Congratulations. Now, and you will live forever wherever we post this. Now... <laughs> Now let's move on to the best cast. Let's move on to the best cast category. You have one, not even really a nominee, just a winner uh, yes. in this category. And who are who? Who do you consider to be the best cast of 2020? Look, I could have done nominees for this one, but I I know in my heart of hearts that just the absolute. <sighs> strength of this cast and the way everyone works together. They just had to be nominated and winning and just that's it, which is the entire cast for Blow the Man Down, specifically the women, which is the majority of the movie. Holy crud. Every single person in that movie acts their fucking ass off. Oh, it's so good. As like a theater person and an actor, I live for really strong performances and there's not I mean there's nobody weak in any of these movies but oh that whole cast is just freaking brilliant tour de force tour de yes. force blow the man down check it out people if you haven't already seen it this is Jen Brown's best cast and uh now do you consider blow the man down to be a, a multiple genre film yeah yeah yes yes it it is a, hmm, not as much as the others, but yes, it qualifies. Um, it's very much has a kind of noir, sort of suburban, but not quite. It could technically fall into rape revenge, technically. It also is, more specifically, a murder mystery. So it's basically a murder mystery essentially a thriller really but it has really 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 strong noir vibes and it's also a sea shanty and it's a sea shanty so, right so, <laughs> it's also a sea so, shanty excellent or or i guess in this case a she shanty shanty <laughs> uh, anyway okay well let's move on to the finest script what if we just stopped saying best? We just said the finest. The finest. The finest script category from uh, Jen Brown's nominees. They are Olivia Dufault with The True Adventures of Wolf Boy, Bridget Savage Cole and Danielle Crudy for the script for Blow the Man Down, Bria Grant with Lucky and 12-Hour Shift, and Carlo Mirabea Davis for Swallow. What is the best script. 
If I could give a tie, I would. But here's the reason I am picking Olivia Dufault as the script winner for True Adventures of Wolf Boy. All of these scripts are very powerful. What I love the most about Olivia Dufault's script and the movie itself, Dufault is a trans woman herself. And she wanted this film to be an allegory. But then while she was writing it, she realized why it's hard to get an allegory out without having a direct representation. So she wrote in a trans uh, teenage character to sort of represent uh, parts of herself and her journey. And that character is performed by a teenage trans girl. It is an incredibly important movie that is uh, written by a trans woman and starring a trans woman um, that is essentially just about growing up. It is a growing up tale for the weirdos. It is such a beautiful, nuanced hilarious, romantic, thrilling, sad, scary. I mean, it's got everything you want to have and fantasy. I mean, it's all over fantasy me. I mean, Wolf Boy, the lead character is is a a, a young boy who's covered from head to toe in hair and is, you know, recruited to travel with the circus. It is just ugh. I I don't know why no one talked about this movie. It even got a wide release online without any of my film nerds talking it up. I saw it in the festivals and told every every fellow critic friend that they had to see it. And most of the ones that went to see it came out of it going, oh my God, you're right. That is the sleeper of this festival. Holy crap. Um, it's beautiful and relevant and everything I want in a script right now. Excellent. Got to check it out. Got to check it out. Well, let's let's move on to the director category, and we have the director nominees are Bridget Savage Cole and Danielle Crudy for Blow the Man Down, Carlo Mirabea Davis for Swallow, Brandon Cronenberg for Possessor, Bria Grant for Twelve Hour Shift, and Jennifer Reeder for Knives and Skin. And who do you choose to be? Your favorite. This is where the true sweep of these categories begins. <laughs> because the winner is Miss Bria Grant for 12 Hour Shift. <sighs> that movie! <laughs> quick, give us a quick, because uh, I, I, I think that probably many of our listeners have not heard of this film. Can you give us just like a quick rundown of what is 12 Hour Shift? 12 Hour Shift is a. Dark comedy hospital crime caper about a nurse during the a twelve hour period uh, of a of a twelve hour shift at the hospital who is helping people sell organs on the black market. Wurlitzers, Hammonds. Uh, no, no, you're talking yeah. about bodily organs. <laughs> bodily so. organs, exactly. And it is such a beautiful mishmash of horror, comedy, crime, caper, uh, 
strong, strong Fargo vibes, like hardcore uh, Fargo vibes, except all the main, main characters um, are women. And Bria just does a beautiful job on on all levels with this movie. Uh, She's not a first-time director, and she's done other movies before, but this one, up till now, like, this is her masterpiece as far as directing for me. It is just... Oh, I can't believe that not everybody is screaming about this movie. <laughs> well, you sound like you're screaming enough for all of us. So uh, <laughs> this is this is good. Uh, okay, well, Bria Grant, and and I think we got a little preview that there may be uh, there may be more <laughs> more wins yes. in store for Bria and her film films. Uh, so. Let's uh, flip this around a little bit. Let's start with the best supporting male identifying actor in a film. Your three nominees were John Turturro for The True Adventures of Wolf Boy, Stephen McCaddy for Come to Daddy. That's a rhyme there. And David Arquette for 12-Hour Shift. And who is your... uh, who takes the who takes the cake on this one? Let's go on a roll, cause the winner is David Arquette for twelve hour shift. David Arquette, another Arquette win. Okay, what's his role in twelve hour shift? In twelve hour shift, David plays an escaped convict. Okay, and is he? That's all I want to say. Okay, <laughs> don't want to give anything away. He is an escape really convict, don't. and he gives a great performance in this film. He really does. It's he. You. I'll, here's the one thing I will say. He plays the role in this movie that usually is designated for a woman uh, in these kinds of crime capers, where a very interesting character who's not there for very long but makes a huge impression, leaves a huge impression. Drew Barrymore. Right, exactly. Vivian Lee. Stuff like that. Correct, correct. And then all the don't women expect, characters. Don't, and, don't come in halfway through this movie and expect to see a lot of David Arquette is what I'm right. hearing. No, he's, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> okay. he is technically the biggest name in it, but he is not uh, a lead. But his part that he does play is so freaking good it's i mean he's a very very talented actor who really got pigeonholed after scream um so it's really nice to see him do something that isn't the goofy guy because you know he's really talented on multiple levels so to get to see him you know play a more serious character which he's really good at and people don't give him enough credit for is why he really in my opinion just deserves this this win like so he is tenfold. he's the best supporting actor he's still you know probably third best arquette <laughs> sorry yeah, yeah sorry no that's fair it's tough that's very fair <laughs> maybe we should someday have a best arquettes category but that would be unfair let's not let's not pit them against each other they're all wonderful let's not and they're, and i'll they tell you what they love each other as far as hollywood families go are the arquettes might be my favorite um there are cats and the phoenixes. It's kind of it's tough, but it's a tough. It's a yeah, you know. But those are those are some good fans. I agree. So let's move on to the best supporting female supporting female identifying actors and our nominees. We had four: 
Margot Martindale for Blow the Man Down, Jennifer Jason Lee for Possessor, Marika Engelhart for Knives and Skin, and Chloe Farnworth for 12-Hour Shift. And who is your choice for the best? Let's keep this roll going! The winner from 12-Hour Shift... Chloe Farnworth. Oh my goodness! Wow, <laughs> this is going to be a twelve-hour podcast if we uh, keep right, keep right. going. But let's uh, tell us a little bit about Chloe Farnworth's role in Twelve Hour Shift. Not only is Chloe Farnworth's performance Farnworth uh, performance in Twelve Hour Shift my favorite supporting uh, uh, female identifying in twenty twenty. It's one of my favorite performances by a woman in a movie, like, ever. <laughs> she, and, and it is this insane mixture of brilliant, brilliant comedic timing that is just inherent. And the character is legitimately insane. She is certifiable, one of the most fucked up characters I've ever seen in a movie, but she's so charming in her fuck upness. And as I was saying with this movie, a lot of the really interesting, unlikable, but still likable roles that usually go to men in movies like this all go to women in this film. And she, I've never seen a character like her perform like this to this expert level. Like, I, it, it is... It's you hate her and then you love her, but you hate her. And but she's like, oh, she's so she's a psychopath. She's a psychopath. She's an absolute psychopath that is only out for herself. She fucks up everything in this movie. Everything that goes wrong is basically her fault because she is a very selfish character. But the way that Chloe plays it is just ugh, perfection utter perfection put it on the board chloe farnworth for 12 hour shift okay well 12 hour shift is racking up the wins here on the nostrils <laughs> let's move on it will not win in this category because it doesn't have any nominations in it it doesn't best lead male identifying actor in a uh, they're all films you're doing all films which is is very yep. uh cinemaphile of you or cinemaphiliac yeah. of you and i'm such a t i'm a huge tv nerd and if i was going to include tv it would just be preposterous so right. i had to limit myself okay well i appreciate that boundaries are a good thing so <laughs> uh okay so our four nominees for the best lead male identifying actor performance are Jaden Martell for The True Adventures of Wolf Boy, Christopher Abbott for Possessor, Elijah Wood for Come to Daddy, and Jeremy Gardner for After Midnight. So, who's the best? Oh, this one absolutely goes to Jaden Martell for The True Adventures of Wolf Boy. Because to be able to give that honest, raw, true, just really, really complex performance through an entire body makeup of hair covering you, 
Whew! Oh my gosh. It's so good. His performance in that movie is just mwah, beautiful. Beautiful. Not to take anything away from Jaden, but we recently covered the film Fur, an imaginary portrait of Deanne Arbus, in which Robert Downey ah. Jr. plays a hirsute man. Have you seen that film? I have not. Oh, well, if you like this, if you like, if you like to see men covered entirely in hair, <laughs> Fur, an imaginary portrait of Deanne Arbus, may be your thing. And if you like to see women covered entirely in hair, you might want to check out... Human Nature, starring ah. Patricia Arquette and Tim Robbins. Yes, yes, yes. In the mind yes, of Charlie I have, Kaufman. I've seen that. I've seen that. <laughs> Maybe we could do a Hearsuite Film Festival someday. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. It's, you know, it has weirdly followed me. Part of the reason why, before I even knew what True Adventures of Wolf Boy was about, I saw the title and knew I wanted to see it because when I had a theater company here in Austin, one of the plays that we produced is a play called Gorilla Man, which is a musical, an indie musical about a young boy who is starts developing fur like a gorilla as a production and a musical that is very near and dear to my heart. So I was like, oh, I've got to check out this movie. There are similarities. They have nothing to do with each other. Okay. It's a theme. It's a theme. Well, moving on and up to the best lead performance by a female identifying actor. We have five nominees. They are Sophie Gianna Moore for The True Adventures of Wolf Boy, Haley Bennett for Swallow, Andrea Riseborough. Is that Riseborough? Yeah, I believe yeah. so, yeah. Andrea Riseborough for Possessor, Angela Bettis for 12-Hour Shift, and Bria Grant for Lucky. Which one is your choice for the best? This, again, might be obvious. As our roll continues going for 12-hour shift, Angela freaking Bettis. If you are not familiar with Angela Bettis, whoo! Do yourself a favor and go watch her movies, specifically, obviously, 12-Hour Shift. But what uh, the movie of hers that got me really into her, which is May, Lucky McKee's May, she is one of the best actors, period. Um, the fact that she's never gotten an Oscar or technically a, like, mainstream, large, wide-release movie that's, like, you know highly acclaimed is baffles me she is one of my favorite actors of all time her range her performance her intensity her professionalism everything about her is absolutely fucking unreal love this woman and this is absolutely the best performance she's ever done um which is i mean really everything she does is the best she's just she's never bad she's absolutely incredible um and her portrayal of the lead nurse in this scenario is a character who is obviously complicated she has a drug problem she's also a nurse she's doing shit that clearly isn't you know on the up and up with the whole organ thing 
but you feel for her. You, the performance that she gives, you really, really are on her side when all the facts point to you really shouldn't be on her side, but you are. And that is absolutely, A, can be contributed to Bria's script, and B, to Angela Bettis' performance of that script. Just incredible. Right on. Okay. Well, 12-hour shift sounds like a film that people should see. I agree. (laughs) And now we are moving on. I'm surprised you didn't nominate it in both categories. (laughs) But yeah. So we uh, let's start with you have two film categories that you have best uh, you have nominees for that you have nominees for. And let's start with best horror. And your nominees for those were Come to Daddy, His House, Extraordinary, Lucky, Bit, and After Midnight. And which is your choice for the best of these? This movie is only nominated in this category. And it is going to win this category. Hands down. Which it may seem, how is that a hands down? You didn't nominate it for anything else. I should have, but I felt like my acting lists were getting too long. The winner is his house. Holy crap. This this film is unbelievably unnerving and genuinely terrifying. Now, anyone who knows me knows that that is a very grand statement. Because I actually do not get scared by too many horror movies anymore. Simply because my tolerance level is very high. So it takes a lot to legitimately scare the crap out of me. Um, And his house... Oh, Jesus. It is about a refugee couple... Um, that escapes war-torn South Sudan, but then they start struggling with adjusting to their new life um, in an English town. There are so many layers in this movie. It's where it is not just about... uh, It's not just your standard haunted house movie. It's about the refugee crisis. It's about um, loss. It's about trying to adapt to a hostile country. Um, There's so many things that this movie is fucking about, directed and written by uh, Remy Weeks. It is absolutely powerful from top to bottom. Um, Visually, it is absolutely stunning. It is super scary. Um, I, uh, uh. (laughs) I just, it is so, and I, now this, This is a movie you will find on the number one spot on most everybody, everyone who's into horror. A lot of us ranked this as the number one movie for last year. And for good reason um, for number one horror. But it needs to be talked about more because the only people I see talking about it are a handful of horror people. And everybody should know about this movie. Well, since, as you know, I'm a fraidy cat. And since you I said know. this would this scares you, I probably will not be seeing it, but I will definitely I'm very happy to be <laughs> celebrating it. 
and I'm sure that a lot of the people who listen to the show are not as wimpy as me. And <laughs> so I encourage you to follow Jen's lead on this if you like the sensation of being terrified. I prefer the sensation of feeling comforted by laughter. <laughs> and sometimes being frightened by real world events. Uh, right. But his right. house, check it out for the scares, stay for the brilliance. And yes. now we move on to the best film category. Yay! Our five nominees from Jen Brown are Blow the Man Down, Swallow, Possessor, 12-Hour Shift, and Knives and Skin. Those who have been following along probably have an idea of what it might be. Are you going to surprise us? What is the best film on this list? Now, this shouldn't be a surprise. We have been building to this. <laughs> but my favorite and thus the best film of 2020, in my opinion, is 12-Hour Shift. Really, this category should be my favorite movie of 2020 because they're all equally the best. 12-Hour Shift was one of those movies where... I was lucky enough to actually see it before it came out because I interviewed Bria Grant. I was going to interview and did interview Bria Grant for my television show, Genre Graveyard, which was on El Rey Network. So she sent me, obviously, a screener link to watch it since, you know, we'd be discussing it on our episode because the episode wouldn't be coming out until after her movie was released. So I got to see it early. And it's one of those movies where the minute I saw it, I was like elated and immediately knew oh this is one of my favorite movies ever <laughs> like this goes up on my like top there's like a handful of movies that when I see them I'm like oh that that immediately goes into my top movies of all time Revenge was one of those The Love Witch was one of those a few other uh, movies you know kind of do the Eliza the Fox Fairy was one of those for me and this is one of those movies where I saw it 12 hour shift immediately was like one of the best movies I've ever seen. Favorite movie of 2020. Hands down. I want to watch it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. again. <laughs> okay. It is the combination. It has a combination of everything I want <laughs> in a movie. It's fun. It's a little scary. It's very tense. It's hysterical. It's dramatic. I mean, huh. the only thing it doesn't have is romance, which thank heavens it doesn't. Um, It is just such a great movie. And... A really, really good performance from Mick Foley, the wrestler. There's so many surprises in this movie. And beautiful use of music. There's like a music video moment in here, too, that's really great. Um, just, I'm so in love with this movie. It's ridiculous. And it's, I mean, everything that I've, I've listed is all very easily accessible online. Okay, well, you seem like you should be a regular nominator on future Oscars <laughs> episodes. Of course, check out your work at Genre Graveyard and Women in Caskets. And also check out the episode of The World is Wrong podcast that you are on in the future, our Jennifer's yes. Body episode. 
So uh, what did you say about my body? Uh, we'll we'll get into it. Well, you'll hear all about it when that episode comes out. All the creepy ways that we can use the title of this film. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, uh, what do you think about Jen's non-minis, Brian? I think it's a great list because I literally had not heard of most of those movies at all. Like those are some true under the radar movies like sadly i think that happens with a lot of horror type stuff like it'll play at like a genre festival but if it isn't like the most hyped up one it kind of falls the wayside so i think it's really great that she brought up all these movies and actually i watched 12 hour shift because of this and it's good it's totally good she's totally right like the performances are what make that movie they're everybody in that movie is great especially the lead women and it's just a fun, kind of thriller, funny movie. It's really good. Like, I recommend people check that out. Um, yeah. Did you watch... Have you watched any of... Did you see any of these? Like, I know you get scared easily, as you said. Um, have you watched any of these movies? Yeah. I watched The True Adventures of Wolf Boy last night. And okay. Jen's totally right. It's a great movie and not a horror film very much uh, just a a, like a heartwarming movie it's a movie that i'm really surprised hasn't got more attention because it just seems like the kind of thing that people would write about it touches on issues that are very much in the culture and that people write and talk about a lot it has genuine movie stars in it it has not just John Turturro, but Chloe Sevigny and Chris Messina, who I've always really liked. Yeah. As yeah. well as a bunch of great actors, like young actors that we haven't seen before. Really surprising, actually, that this film hasn't got more attention. So yeah. I'm glad. I'm really, I wouldn't have, I mean, not surprising in that I judge anyone for being unaware of it. I'm very grateful to Jen for bringing it to us and you know getting us on the inside track of this because I feel like this film is one think piece in a major publication away from being something that everyone's talking about you know just in, in like in culture uh, just because it's a, a really beautiful film cool so our next nominator is going to be AJ Gonzalez, but before we do that, we have some more uh, film legends to honor in our continuing in memoriam, our endless <laughs> in memoriam. We're never going to stop remembering <laughs> you, folks. You did great work, and yeah, really, I feel like the that's what the Oscars should be—is just one big funeral. <laughs> Like they already slowly kind of do the thing where they're like, remember these old movies? Remember classic Hollywood? So they should really lean into that and include the people that passed away with that because that's really what you should be doing is honoring the people that came before these people, the people that have always been making interesting things. Like it shouldn't just be some sad reel where you just see their face and someone sings a song over and everyone cries, like, which is nice. It's fine. But isn't it better to like, really celebrate these people and be like, here's all these great clips of this person. Like they should just make the Oscars eight hours long. (laughs) I'm more interested in the people that died than the current living people. who aren't as interesting who are winning these awards. Yeah. So, (laughs) and including 
the is it is beloved the right word? Let's just say the beloved David Prowse, the man oh, yeah. inside the Darth Vader costume. But not only the guy inside the Darth Vader costume, you might have seen him in other films as well. Brian, you want to hip 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 to this? In the Clockwork Orange, he's the one who he's carrying the old man around in his house, like the big bodybuilder looking guy. That's David Prowse. He also plays a handsome bodybuilder in multiple episodes of the Benny Hill Show, which should be the highest honor of any actor is to be in the Benny Hill Show. So though, definitely Star check Wars, if you want to... Clockwork Orange, and the Benny Hill Show. That's... Like, that's all you need in life. Just delete all movies and TV and just keep those three things and you're fine. Um, so, uh, and three very different things. But if you want to see what Darth Vader looked like as a human being, check out Clockwork Orange or uh, Benny Hill. And not many people know this, but James Earl Jones was actually inside the David Prowse body... <laughs> In the clockwork <laughs> art. <laughs> That's pretty. Hey, if you can't That's laugh at a funeral, where can you laugh, people? <laughs> Speaking of which, someone who would appreciate that next up on our list is Carl Reiner. Uh, can you believe this guy never got an Oscar nomination? Are you kidding me? You know, it, it sadly makes sense because as we said before, the Oscars don't give a shit about comedy. They don't care about things that are funny. They don't think that requires as much, if not more hard work than a drama and he's definitely one of the greats like most every movie he wrote or directed is so good especially that run of steve martin films they're all so amazing but he's more than even those like those are the popular ones but he also did oh god with george burns which is great i want to i want to posit an alternate universe theory can you imagine if in 1977, instead of the best Oscar, the best picture Oscar going to a comedy called Annie Hall, setting a template that comedy filmmakers are still sort of hewing to. But instead yeah. of that, if in 1977, the Academy had chosen to honor Oh God, starring John Denver <laughs> and George Burns, and we'd spent the next 30 years making God-based comedies <laughs> basically we had to wait till bruce almighty for for the next one i'm also a big fan of summer school is a great movie that he directed oh yeah yeah um fatal instinct is great that's sort of him doing sort of a zucker brothers type thing making fun of uh, erotic thrillers very very good stuff you also have the one and only with henry winkler have you ever seen that movie I have not seen the one and only. No, check out the one and only, and then of course, uh, where's Papa? Oh yeah, with George Siegel. George Siegel, yeah. So like, check out anything with his name as director. Check it out. Watch it. It's really good stuff. Like it's some of the. It's like to me, it's really is as good as the Mel Brooks stuff. As good as like any good comedies from that time. He is. He's a great filmmaker. And we just sort of we sort of tossed it off, but the run of Steve Martin films is the jerk. Oh. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, The Man with Two Brains, and All of Me. All amazing. Yeah. All four of those movies. All four very different types of comedies, and all really good at that type of comedy. And I ha I, I think, will you agree? I mean, they're all great, but The Jerk should just be on a list of the greatest American comedies. <laughs> like, whatever that list is, 
Yeah, that's if top it's, 10. If it's a top 10 list, you're going to have to, I mean, you, you can probably throw some out there and be like, well, okay, maybe we're going to have a tie for 10th then because you just can't, like, the jerk is kind of perfect. Uh, mm-hmm. I agree. Absurdist. It it really launched Steve Martin. It did, does everything that you want a comedy to do. And, yeah. And, yeah, I think we've given too it's it's not right to say we've given too much time to Carl Reiner, but only because we're at at the expense of the others we haven't given this much time to. But I I guess we both really big fans love this guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk briefly about Anne Ryan King. Sadly, we don't have as many films from her, but you will probably recognize her as playing a version of herself in All That Jazz, and uh, just a uh, you know. Beautiful, talented, underappreciated actor and dancer. And uh, it is sad to see her go. As with Diana Rigg, Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. who's like probably best known for being a British actor, a TV actor, mostly in the Avengers. Yeah. And if you look at her credits, just I think if you were in England you have a different experience of who Diana Rigg is in terms of just how much cultural heft she carries. And probably because mm-hmm. that's because she really confined herself mostly to working on English productions, one of which I know is one of your favorites. Yes, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, another Bond movie, one of the most underrated, maybe the most underrated Bond movie because it stars George Lazenby in his only Bond role. But she plays the love interest and has the distinction of being the only Mrs. James Bond. So like that is an amazing thing. And she is so, so good in that movie. Like she really brings so much more than what's usually even allowed for the, the Bond women. And she really like, to me, she's more the star of the movie than even George Lazenby. Like she's why that movie's great. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I, I still, I only, I've only seen that film once but I don't, I don't want to give away the ending, but the ending of that film still hits me with more of an emotional impact than I think any other Bond film Oh yeah, does. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's really maybe the only time in any Bond movie where you have like real feelings that aren't just like having fun. <laughs> <laughs> having fun killing people because we got a license. <laughs> as long as yeah. you got a license. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> moving on to John Saxon, who uh, people, you know, probably remember. What do you think people remember? Do you think people remember him best as the father in Nightmare on Elm Street or as one of Bruce Lee's fighting companions in Enter the Dragon? I think those are the two uh, that people would remember him for. I really like him in Black Christmas. I also want to recommend Nightmare Beach, which is a slasher movie from 1989 uh, that's really good and really fun. And there's also a great episode of CSI that Tarantino uh, directed that John Saxon is in, and it's great. Really? And he's good in it. Like, yeah, it's really, really good. Um, and the uh, he's just, again, like Wilford Brimley, 
and and Brian Dennehy. He was just like always this dependable guy, more so I think than even those two, because he just did so many movies, highbrow and lowbrow, but was always great in them. Like he is just like like his filmography is vast. Like that guy made a heck of a lot of movies. Like he was just a constant working actor, but was always very very good. Um, was he in yeah. the Bleach? the beach blanket bingo movies is he, he i feel like his career goes back at least that far i feel like i have a memory of young john saxon yeah he's in like he's in a lot of early like he's in summer love in 1957 um he shows up in just uh, a bunch of like b movies he's like he did a lot of movies like crime movies in italy in the 70s um you know, Queen of Blood, like he's he's just like, yeah, he, constant television westerns, television shows. Like he just always was working all the time until like his you know retirement basically, and uh, he's just great. Like and you'd recognize him immediately because he's just like he looked the same always. Like he was like had that kind of Harry Dean Stanton and like handsome version of Harry Dean Stanton where it's like you never aged. You were always like forty eight. In everything. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so John Saxon. And uh, final one on this list, a director, a writer, a man named Joel Schumacher. Yeah. An- another person that got a lot of hate in his lifetime. But I've always was a big fan. Like, I love me some DC Cab. DC Cab is one of my favorite movies ever. You talk <laughs> about wrote it a lot. And- he wrote it and directed it. And it's great. Um, a lot of people don't know, too, that he was a costume designer before he was directing. And he did Bloom in Love, The Last of Sheila, and Sleeper, which has great costumes in it, and Interiors. So, like, he was a very talented man, in my opinion. And I like those Batman movies he directed. I don't care what anyone says. I think they're really good. And I'm also a big fan of Falling Down and Flatliners, and The Lost Boys in St. Elmo's Fire. Uh, the Incredible Shrinking Woman is really good. <laughs> and he wrote uh, the movie Car Wash and The Wiz. So, like, that's a lot. That's a pretty interesting filmography. Like, yeah, he made a lot of things, too, that we won't mention that weren't as good as those things. But, I mean, that's a pretty, like, that's a pretty solid filmography. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I think we I think he wrote the screenplay for the Wiz. I don't I, the Wiz yeah. was a Broadway play yeah. before. I don't think he wrote the Broadway play. Oh uh, yeah, but he wrote this. He wrote right. this the movie script. Yeah. Right, and certainly he should get credit for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He is one of those directors who made films that really worked in Hollywood in the moment, popular films that have stayed sort of relevant in in people's film conversations all throughout, but who generally never was seen as a particularly talented or great director yeah. sort of by critics. And myself too. I've never, I, I, he's one of those actors, one, one of those directors who eventually kind of wore me down into being like, well, you know, you're just, I mean, you've been doing it so long, you're good at this. And you have so many that even though none of them are ones that I love, 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 
there are enough on there that I like, like, like that I start to question myself. I feel like, mm, <laughs> I think this guy might be better than my judgments of him. <laughs> I certainly enjoyed uh, Trespass, and we talked about that uh, in our Nicholas Cage. Nick Coldman, Kidman. Nick Kidman. Nick Cage. Kidman, Nick Cage. Yeah. 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 Uh, so good on you, Joel Schumacher. And now let us move on to your director's wall co host, AJ Gonzalez. You want to say anything about AJ before we dive into this? Yeah. So, like, I feel like this is the most interesting one to me, not just because I'm friends with AJ, but because if you had listened to last week's episode, he is an Oscar aficionado slash, you know, fanatic. So he lives, breathes, like, the Oscars and movies and best of lists and, like, all the critics and this stuff. So, like, what he has to say will be really fascinating. Like, when you take away the thing he loves the most, which is the Oscars, because I think he agrees a lot with, with what things win Oscars. Not all the time. So it'll be interesting to see, like, when he can't pick those movies, what what's left? What does he think is good? I'm excited. Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe by Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. Welcome back to The World is Wrong, and welcome to the Noscars, AJ Gonzalez. Thank you for having me back, Andros. I'm excited. This was a lot of fun to, uh, to put together. Yeah, listeners, of course, will remember you from just last week when you were on our Oscars pro and con episode. Let me tell you, the response has been amazing. People are going crazy about that episode. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the letters uh, are let's... pouring in. I don't know what's going on, man. It's like I, I need to fire Brian. Actually, I can't fire Brian <laughs> because but he because because uh, I need his approval. In fact, I'm I'm working just hard to keep him from quitting. Listeners, I promise my appearance on this episode will be considerably shorter. Uh, don't make promises you can't keep, but we'll try. <laughs> so, lay your parameters for nomination on us. So, I decided since we're doing the the, the no Oscars, the Noscars, films that did not get uh, any nominations. Uh, I figured it should highlight films that maybe that didn't get any awards attention that like weren't on the Academy's radar. And when Oscar nominations rolls around and you're like, well, this movie didn't get nominated, but it's not the kind of movie that the Oscars would nominate. I thought that the Oscars uh, should and would, uh, and I'm, sure I will be proven correct, highlight those movies. The problem is that with 2020 being so 2020, almost every movie got just a little bit of Academy Awards uh, attention. So like when we first went into lockdown and movies stopped being shown in theaters and we just had like the five movies that had come out in February and early March, and people thought, like, well, maybe these movies will hang around and they will get Oscar nominations. But then the Academy decided to re uh, rejigger things. And it turns out, nope, those movies did not 
and I will talk about some of them. So yeah, if I do mention movies that maybe it turns out did have some awards chatter around them, that's why I think in a normal year, these movies probably wouldn't have gotten any awards chatter. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight um, movies that really touched me, that moved me, that didn't really break big for whatever reason, because the pandemic happened, and so they didn't get wide theatrical releases, and who knows what streaming services everything is on. I don't even know. So would you say that since you are a fan of the Oscars in general, as you you made clear on our last episode, would you say that <clears throat> your list features many films that in other years might even sneak in to an Oscar nomination? The people who are in your films have been nominated in the past. It's You could say that maybe this is the most Oscar-adjacent list will probably provide. Would you would you say that's fair? I I do I do uh, I do concede that and and think that it's fair. I would not be surprised if I'm maybe the most mainstream person. To uh, I don't like mainstream. It's a that's a it's a ghettoizing term. It's like it's your as you said. These are things that are personal to you. The fact that your tastes are I, I'm I'm I think. Probably mine will be the second most traditional in an odd way. So let's not let ourselves be be shamed for having, you know, populist tastes for films that cost a lot of money to make. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so enough preamble. Lay your categories on us from uh, from top to bottom. So my categories from top to bottom are best picture. Best Actor, Actress, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, Director, Original Screenplay, Adapted Screenplay, Production Design, Costumes, Documentary, and then my uh, two wildcard categories, Best Ensemble and Best TV Series or Season that was aired in 2020. So now we're going to have you walk us through them from the bottom to the top and let's put the TV show and the ensemble up there with the best picture. So we can start with best documentary. So best documentary, I'll admit I don't watch a lot of documentaries, but every year I watch, I watch a handful. Are you one of those Oscar voters who gets interviewed and then get people get mad at them because they've never seen the films they're voting on? Yes, you are, AJ uh, yeah. Gonzalez. The world is wrong, and sometimes it's us. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. You couldn't see all... Who could see all the documentaries? It's impossible. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go go on. I'm, I'm so excited. All right. So uh, my pick for best documentary is a documentary which is on Netflix. It's called Audrey. It is about the life and career of Audrey Hepburn. It's directed by Helena Cohen, or Cohen. And it's the life of Audrey Hepburn told through friends and people that worked with her, her family. And it has a great device of a, uh, of a sort of wistful ballet kind of reflecting the emotions that are uh, 
that are happening at that stage in her life because Audrey Hepburn did, since she was a child, always wanted to be a ballerina and she was not able to do to pursue that professionally for a lot of wealth because of the war, because of World War II. There was not a lot of ballet training going on then. And then she suffered from malnutrition as a child and her body never really recovered from that. And then she kind of fell into acting and was great at it. And it's uh, just a wonderful, wonderful portrait. It's a lot of talking heads, uh, also archival footage. It's kind of between a traditional documentary and like an Errol Morris style where there's a you know, some artistic flair to it and recreations. The uh, ballerina in it is, uh, that's doing a lot of the dancing is Francesca Hayward. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful, touching documentary. I really recommend giving, giving that a watch. Uh, so that is Audrey. It's available on Netflix currently. More on your passion for Audrey Hepburn in our upcoming episode on Vanilla Sky. And moving on. Moving on. So these, these next two, they're going to come together. And this film, I knew I was going to give it uh, another award further on up my ballot, but I knew I had to give it these two quote-unquote craft technical wins. So my winner for best uh, production design and costumes is The Personal History of David Copperfield. This is the adaptation of David Copperfield by Armando Iannucci that stars Dev Patel as David Copperfield and has this great like multi-ethnic cast to it. That's probably the most notable thing about it when you watch it and it's just done the way you would do a, like a, a Shakespeare like a modern production of a Shakespeare play in regards to the colorblind casting so like Benedict Wong plays his attorney boss at one point and there's never any mention on the ethnic background of the characters it's just we assembled the best cast that we could and this is who it is so there's Hugh Laurie there's Ben Wishaw but also Benedict Wong Dev Patel, and just a great cast. But what really made this movie come alive to me that really stuck out is the inventive production design and the costumes, which are so it takes place, of course, in the Dickensian 1800s uh, England. So it's Industrial Revolution. They're polluting England to death with all the coal. Everything's dirty and muddy. But the costumes, people are still dressed in color, and it really pops and stands out. So it's this drab world, but these people are bright and alive, and they're full of life. And I really got that through the costumes by Susie Herman and Robert Worley. So they get my award for best costumes. And the production design goes to some of the more inventive moments. There are, are scenes where young David Copperfield is sketching. There's a boat that's been marooned on the beach and turned into a house. And he's drawing that, and then the big hand breaks through the roof of the boat, and it's his cruel stepfather reaching in and crumbling up this drawing he made of a house of a boat that's been turned into a house. I'll get it right one day. <laughs> and, and it's just like, wow. Like, so that's that I totally get 
like, yeah, I was there with young David in this world that was totally real to him and to me. And then it was totally destroyed by this cruel adult force and the design of this boat that's been turned into a house of the uh, nice country estate where he lives with his aunt, the cramped slum apartment where he and his aunt and then everyone else in the movie end up living. It's, it, it, it just feels really tactile and real. And also, as I mentioned before, very dirty and grimy. So you get this kind of fun, colorful, vibrant side, but also you really feel like, okay, these characters are always covered. There's always dirt somewhere. You know, they really don't, these characters really don't get to bathe regularly. So they're always in like five layers of clothing, which is why you wore so many clothes in the Victorian era to hide, to hide your stink. And so yet yeah, my, that is Christina Caselli. She gets my award for best production design. And those weren't categories I really planned on giving awards to. I didn't have any runners up or nominees. I just saw this movie and knew I had to call out those categories because they, they were really the, the, the hook for me for the personal history of David Copperfield. Great. Well, I think this is a nice segue into your best adapted screenplay winner. So my win for best adapted screenplay is Surprise, The Personal History of David Copperfield, adaptation by Simon Blackwell and Armando Iannucci. And I mean, it just made sense for me to give this adapted screenplay because I like the film so much and because it is such an inventive take on the film, I mean, on the source material, while still also staying true to the source material. Like, it's not a modern adaptation. It's not set in present day. Most certainly not. But it feels so modern. Armando Iannucci, who uh, on TV created Veep and The Thick of It, starring Peter Capaldi, who appears in uh, David Copperfield and, and is great. Yeah, in this, uh, he plays Mr. Micawber, who in the classic version is played by W.C. Fields. Uh, he, he, it's a wonderful character played by both like very lovable people that seem from their appearance like they might be stern, but they're actually quite warm. And they're, they're wonderful mentors, both W.C. Fields and, and Peter Capaldi. Wait a second. Lovable? I think both of them would balk at being described as lovable. <laughs> they work, they are guys who have worked very hard to be maybe at the, the, the nicest thing would be to say they're rascals, but they are, they are curmudgeons and they are, they, they will cut you to the quick with a cruel word. These are not, yeah, I love them. Yes, we love them, but I don't know if they're <laughs> lovable. Uh, but lovable? I'll get, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, they wouldn't only, because that would be an ins they would take that as an insult. I'm just saying. I think W.C. Fields does not want to be lovable. He wants. <laughs> well, you are you are like one thousand percent at one hundred percent because anything more than that is just ridiculous. I mean, it's redundant. Come on, one hundred percent correct. Mr. Micawber is a is a total rascal. <laughs> 
a total uh, yes. affection yes uh, affection drawing rascal also i'm thinking of peter capaldi in uh the in the thick of it he's yeah. in i mean he is such a if you haven't seen the show if you've seen veep then you've seen the thick of it just imagine that they're all english and the le- the cutting and this is just the the cutting language that's in veep is in the thick of it except because they're british it's even i know they they say cunt a lot more so it just sounds tougher it sounds tougher but they're british and something about the accent makes it a lot softer on the ear yeah yeah than than with our uh our american accent but as i just uh, demonstrated yeah <laughs> So and Peter Capaldi, like yes, his his character is full of rage and anger, and there is one of my favorite moments in the show, which we unfortunately can't drop a clip of because it's a total visual moment. Someone tries to ask him a question, and it, he's from behind, and his head turns over his shoulder, and his eyes are like red and wet with rage <laughs> that someone is even trying to speak to him right now it's so frightening that you have to laugh but not not lovable <laughs> anyway <laughs> let's get back so uh so that's your so i feel like uh well keep us keep us going here and yet the, this inventive approach and this was one i really i really struggled with led me to also give the personal history of david copperfield my award for for best director to Ooh. Armando Iannucci. It was a surprise for me. I wrote it down last night. And I'm like, I am I sure? Like I, I thought I had this already already locked down. But just again, because of the approach to the material and also him being involved in the writing process. So we know that this wasn't like this draft, this version, this like modern inventive telling of david copperfield wasn't just kind of sprung on him as a work for hire he was involved in the writing process as well like to 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 decide to take a classical piece of literature and modernize it not just in like we're we're gonna set it in present day the way alfonso Cuaron did with great expectations which is a uh, which is a great film i'm not knocking that film but that's like we're going to take the classical material and to really make it resonate with the the people of today, we're going to set it in modern day and find find analogs, modern analogs for all the stuff in all the pat all the stuff from the past. Uh, they, they they keep it in the past, but but just with with the style, with the the way the actors are the way. I mean. And not not to take anything away from the actors in the movie who are all incredible, but the way the actors are directed to give their lines, it's all very just modern. It's it's like they're using the Dickensian language, but it's told in a modern way, the way that Kenneth Branagh approached Shakespeare. So it didn't sound like we were listening to an old phonograph of the you know royal shakespeare academy from 1920 delivering this the way shakespeare would have done it it's the way modern actors 
would say these. It's a lot more conversational. And there's, of course, a lot of emotions to the story of this boy who just goes from like awfulness to awfulness to to a good a good setup and then back to awfulness and then can he build himself back and i mean of course it's a great story but it it's it's wonderfully approached here yeah it's good stuff it's good stuff let's keep moving here through these nom- these non now you're not nominating you are just noscaring and it makes sense so uh so i'm just going to say the the noscars prognosticators are out there looking at this now and saying hey this looks like uh david copperfield is on the road to a to an, a noscar sweep aj are you I, I, don't don't divulge but Right now, the odds. This is the odds-on favorite for the for your best picture, an Oscar. So, what's up next? Is it a, is 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 this just going to continue? Is every one of your awards going to go to this film? Well, for a while, it looked like that. But first, I was so caught up in talking about the personal history of David Copperfield, I totally skipped over, and I definitely don't want to skip over my pick for original screenplay, which is the. The Kid Detective, written and directed by Evan Morgan. Love this film. This movie, it's one that you told me about. I did not know about this movie before you mentioned it to me, off-air in a previous conversation. And I like detective stories. I like uh, anything that sounds offbeat and quirky, and this did. Uh, So uh, I checked it out. It's available... VOD on various services. I highly recommend it. it. It's it's fun, but very serious. It's uh it's not a a uh, it, it's not a neo noir. It's not like Ryan Johnson's Brick, but it is a a detective story with a setting an, an unlikely setting. Adam Brody plays a former. Well, a child detective that grew up and never stopped solving child detective cases, like finding out who stole the the milk money at school or where a cat, like a missing cat or things like that. And then he is then presented with his first like real adult serious case to find out who murdered this uh, high school student. And of course, he, he takes the case and along the way things get pretty i i don't want to say dark because i don't want to i don't want to uh, uh make people shy about this film and also i don't feel like it is dark but things just get very serious it is moving he's moving from kid detective cases to like a real case uh, like a real serious murder investigation uncovering you know, uh, seedy aspects of the town, this idyllic small town and the real, not real, but the, uh, the hidden seedy, uh, underbelly to the town. And it, uh, it, it, it just works on a lot of different levels. And so, uh, taking this, this premise of a, of a child, of a kid detective, grows who like what happens when the hardy boys nancy drew grows up you know they 
and they solve it. <laughs> are they still going to be solving cases? Are, are they still going to be solving these kind of cases? What happens when uh, they get when Nancy Drew has to deal with like the first serious murder? I have not watched any of the new like hard serious Nancy Drew stuff. Because that's called Veronica Mars. So I've just got, I've got Veronica Mars already. I don't need the new serious Nancy Drew. Sorry, CW. Okay. Get off my lawn. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, I don't know. I feel like we're going to have to do a, a kid detective. Might have to do a kid detective episode about this movie on this on this podcast. Unless the world decides to get right about it. But... I applaud your choice there, AJ. Thank you. Uh, I applaud your recommendation. It's a lot of fun. It is definitely offbeat. And it does go to real serious, dark places. But I won't, it, it's never grim. It's about this character maturing. And then we feel like his world maturing or because he matures, the way he views the world matures around him. And it's just a lot of fun. And to keep the amount of, dare I say, whimsy, I don't mean to say that this movie is light or slight. But it's all of the things you're saying. So yeah, I think those are all, that's very correct. The uh, the Oscars will usually use a original screenplay to honor the like quirky film or the original film with vod it's right there it's on multiple streaming services i really recommend it the ending might seem a bit off it might seem a bit strange or unexpected but just let it sit with you and it feels so true to what the movie emotionally has been getting at for its entire runtime mm -hmm. and like once you let that sit with you it it, it it just makes makes the movie better. My reaction was like, well, I liked it. And the ending was weird. And then I think about it. Or I don't even really think about it. It just stays with me. And that's the best. That's really the best thing a movie can hope for. And it's the best thing you can want from a movie. Is that it just stays with you. Whether you want it to or not. Yes, yes. This is the first Noscar and nomination for Evan Morgan. It's also his first feature as a writer-director. So good things to come for Evan Morgan. Now let's move on to the acting categories. So Best Supporting Actress, I have a tie. A tie? Yes. I couldn't decide between Candace Bergen and Diane Weist for Let Them All Talk, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Huh? I feel like this movie really went under the radar. Meryl Streep plays an author of note who uh, has been offered an award and her character's most famous work is basically a loosely fictionalized version of something that happened to Candace Bergen's character. And Candace Bergen has carried that for their whole friendship since they were in college. And Diane Weist is kind of playing the Diane Weist uh, yeah. kind of wholesome character, like her like sweet character from Edward Scissorhands. This film was done kind of Curb Your Enthusiasm style, where uh, a script was written, but really the actors just 
were given the premise of the scene, what had to happen in the scene, what needed to be said, and then were kind of let go. So it gets Meryl Streep and Candace Bergen and Diane Weist, but it feels like you're just hanging out with people. Though Meryl Streep is the lead, and she is Meryl Streep, and she is great. The standouts really were Candace Bergen and Diane Weist. And this whole movie is so fun. It feels so alive. It's characters on a on a cruise, and I think the movie even starts with, uh, with a caption saying like "2019," because we know, <laughs> we know it. They definitely didn't go on a cruise during 2020. So it it is also fun in that way, just watching it in 2020 and early 2021. Like, oh, like yeah people used to do this and wouldn't it be nice to go on a boat again but i can't really but i can watch you know i can watch this movie about people on a boat that was filmed when it was still safe to be on cruises yeah yeah it feels like a maybe because diane weist is in it it feels like a woody allen film production wise without the woody allen script but like the feeling of like Wealthy intellectuals from New York talking about art and feelings and memories. Yeah, no, I th- I definitely think that is a, f- a fair and accurate uh, description of the movie. I think you're absolutely right, because it is a shared performance. They're each... It's sort of like giving an award to Laurel and not Hardy. Like, they can't... In this film... All the goodness is really the two of these great actors working with each other and off each other. The movie spends a lot of time with with all the people individually, but it's just a total delight when Candace Burton and Diane Weister are on screen. Well, speaking of delights, let's move on to your best supporting actor. Best supporting actor, there was no doubt for me once I finally saw this movie. Bill Murray in Sofia Coppola's On the Rocks. People in Chicago are screaming and running into the streets. Bill Murray finally won his Oscar. <laughs> I said, no, 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 oh. no. It's an Oscar. It's an Oscar. So don't, don't, get, don't get too excited. Yeah. This is one I feel like if, uh, you know, had there not been a, a global once in a century pandemic and On the Rocks had had a normal theatrical release, Bill Murray and On the Rocks would have been a lot more in the, at least in the conversation. And I feel like he definitely would have gotten an Academy Award nomination. So, yeah, it seems plausible. Like he 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 would have been a, a an Oscar nominee, not star of this movie. It's Rashida Jones. She is definitely firmly the lead, uh, and she plays a writer suffering suffering from writer's block who is married to Marlon Wayans and they live in uh, New York City and she's starting to suspect that he's having an affair on her and uh, Bill Murray plays her father her kind of drunk about town happy-go-lucky father who when we we first uh, hear him He's talking to her from Paris, and then he comes to New York, and he finds out about her problem and decides, like, well, we need to, like, solve the mystery of if he's having an affair or not, and kind of drags her along on this quest 
to follow Marlon Wayans around to see if he's having an affair with the new co-worker that he's always talking about. And by the way, now that's lovable. He is so lovable. And he is the, I mean, I don't want to say ne'er-do-well. Like, he always means well, but he is kind of, kind of ineffectual. And when he did well, just like what we see in the movie, when he does well, it's kind of by accident. And he, being as wealthy as he is, his character is like a, an art dealer. And this is about, like, upper middle class, if not fully upper class New York City people, though, I mean... Is this a Sofia Coppola screenplay? Original screenplay. Hmm. <laughs> is this a movie about a woman that is trapped by her privilege or unsatisfied by her privilege while being aware of her privilege? It definitely fits into the Sofia Coppola wheelhouse. It's not just not just because it's about this uh, woman who's a writer, but like with Virgin Suicides and Lost in Translation and Marie Antoinette and every single one of her films, it is about a a woman that is living a privileged life but is still unsatisfied and in a but in a real way, not not in an ungrateful way, but in the way where she's aware that she should be happy because she has all of these things, she has all these privileges, but she is not. And Rashida Jones is really good in this performance. I, w- I will say she spends a lot of it reacting to what Bill Murray does. He's great because of the way they work together and vice versa. So Bill Murray is firmly the supporting performance in this movie. It feels like he dominates the film just because he dominates the screen every time he's on not just because of his bill murray persona but because of the the life he's bringing to this character he just kind of takes over every scene and if that doesn't sound appealing to you then you're probably in the same mindset that rashida jones is in just kind of like oh it's like once again my father is taking all of the attention and he's really like making a scene but clearly sofia coppola sees bill murray as as a kind of a muse so there's a complicity like the film yeah it's exactly what you're right the film we all want bill murray to dominate the scene and something about the way that coppola films it and rashida jones plays it sort of rolling their eyes at it that allows us to even enjoy it even more because we're in on the joke. We all love him. <laughs> like you could tell that we feel the way about Bill Murray that the the way that Rashida Jones does is like if you lived around him, you'd be like, oh, you kind of hope that Bill Murray has someone around him like that anyway, or at least that well, you're glad that Francis Ford Coppola does <laughs> and the, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and Nicolas Cage and all the big men in Sofia Coppola's universe, right? <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I know you're a big fan of Sofia Coppola, so that's that's great. So let's keep moving to the Best Actress and Actor Oscars. So Best Actress, when I mentioned that films released earlier in the year seemed like they had a decent shot of 
getting awards recognition. What I really had in mind, who I really had in mind, was Elizabeth Moss in The Invisible Man, which came out in February. It, it's not really a modern adaptation of the H.G. Wells novel. It's just a horror thriller movie about an invisible man terrorizing this woman, though unlike in previous Invisible Men movies, the victim, Elizabeth Moss, is the main character. And so Elizabeth Moss plays the partner of this abusive, domineering, tech genius guy in San Francisco who finally escapes from him, both physically, she like makes a an escape in the middle of the night from their house, and then finds out that her partner killed himself, and she thinks like, okay, like that part of my life is over, I'm free now, and she's starting to live her life great, but then all these weird things start happening to her, and she knows that he was an expert in optics. It's never explained beyond that. And so she knows, and we know, because, because we believe her, that her presumed dead ex-partner has become invisible and is now continuing to torment her. And it's a great performance from Elizabeth Moss, who play someone who is a victim, who is trying to overcome that, and who's desperately trying to be believed, and then, like, gets to take action in her life. And it, 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 it is a, a horror movie, it's a thriller, and it's a very layered performance, and it's a performance that got a lot of, of attention, when it came out, and around that time, spring last year, thinking like, well, maybe this will stay in the awards conversation, but it didn't, which is too bad, because even with the official list of Best Actress nominees, if I could only pick a performance, gender-neutral performance, she, she would get my, my award for that. Best Actor Across the Board of the Year would be Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. Okay, so are we ready to move on to the best actor? Well, I do have to give an honorable mention to... This is one... Elizabeth Moss was always my pick, but Margot Robbie for Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, in which she plays Harley Quinn, really it is a an extremely close second. It's a DC movie, and those DC comic movies are very dour and serious because of, uh, you know, he who shall not be named. You know, he, he gets his own cuts. It's fine. But she brings this movie to life and makes it so much fun. Yes. So on to best actor. So uh, if I had a, uh, a controversial pick in my list, it would be, you guessed it, Ben Affleck for The Way Back. What? <laughs> Absolutely. So this this is a movie that came out back in February. My wife went and saw it in the theaters, and she really liked it. And I figured, okay, well, I'll check it out. He plays uh, an alcoholic who gets hired to coach a high school basketball team. This movie has a cliched premise that you've seen before. It's a total, like, guy has to get his life back on track by coaching kids in a sport 
movie, but it's just done so well. It's like on Top Chef when someone cooks like 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 just a burger, but they do it so well that Tom Colicchio and Padma they're like, oh my god, like it's okay to do basic, but you have to do it excellently, and this movie does it so well. And Ben Affleck plays. <laughs> You know, like tabloid stuff about Ben Affleck aside, I'm not going to speculate about his life. He plays a functioning alcoholic so well, like someone and so, so uh, in a way that feels very real that this is a guy who drinks all the times and he works a construction job during the day and he's pouring like vodka or something into <laughs> into a generic cup and drinking on the job and he plays this character as someone who's just a little drunk all the time instead of the way you think of an actor playing an alcoholic as you know they they go on the bender and have these big big scenes of embarrassing themselves or making a spectacle. Looking He's at just... you, Gary Oldman. Sorry. <laughs> He's just kind of drunk. I love you, but come on. <laughs> He's just kind of drunk all the time. And sometimes he's more drunk than other times. And Ben Affleck just is great at this, like this subtle rage and this subtle sadness. And he gets to really show those in this character. While we're still on the actors, why don't we move on to your best ensemble cast? So my best ensemble, this is one of my wild card made up categories, has to go to Let Them All Talk. I, this movie is just so fun and wonderful. And this is my way to also give Meryl Streep an award. So Meryl Streep, Gemma Chan, plays her editor who sneaks her way onto the cruise so she can like keep an eye on Meryl Streep to make sure she's actually writing her new book. And Lucas Hedges, who's definitely also a, a big part of the ensemble, they're all together so great. And Lucas Hedges is kind of playing the straight man who is just there. He's like the person that the, the normal person that Larry David or JB Smoove are is encountering on an episode of Kirby enthusiasm, just there to give like a real reaction. Like, Hmm, what? No, he's the Cheryl. Yeah. <laughs> he's the Cheryl <laughs> to Candace Bergen and Diane Weist and Meryl Streep. The cast is just all one great joy to watch now do you consider that the director should get some credit for the best ensemble having put them together i think so like well having put them together and just kind of i mean you know the decision to make no decision that the decision to just like <laughs> let the actors go right which is which is a direction yeah you know he could have been in there like dictating how like, no, say this again, but say it this way, but just kind of letting the actors go and letting Meryl Streep and Candace Bergen just just talk in a way that feels very organic and natural. And so then you're thrown off guard because you're watching 
movie stars, but they're they're delivering their lines in a way that doesn't feel like actors reciting dialogue. And now to the best picture, the odds on favorite being let's see what's in what's in the running. So we I mean, it really looks like personal history of David Copperfield. You get the best director, best adapted screenplay, all the production awards. Although at the same time, you got the double acting award and the ensemble award going to let them all talk. That sounds like that's a, uh, those are the, those would be the, the, the odds on favorites uh, to the Noscars prognosticators <laughs> <laughs> who are listening. So uh, what is it? Your best picture is. It is On the Rocks by Sofia Coppola. Oh, and then you see the shot of her in the of her empty chair because she didn't show up. No, you see the shot of her. She just is like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I won. <laughs> so she's going up and at the same time she's thinking, but how can how what, what do you mean? I won, but I'm not the I'm the best director. Wait, how come I'm not the best director? So this I this a lot. It, it's not unlike the 1972 Oscars where Cabaret won the most Oscars at that ceremony, including Best Director for Bob Fosse. But a little picture called The Godfather won three Oscars, one of which was Best Picture. Wait, Coppola didn't win Best Director for uh, Godfather? Not for Godfather 1. He won for God- he won Best Director for Godfather Part 2. Oh, it makes you think that were- that's part of why Godfather 2 had to get a second bite at the Oscar. Yeah, Oscar, Oscar politics going on there. Yeah, okay. So, okay, and how about what were the politics here? So, I I watched On the Rocks a few nights ago. I loved it so much. I was just giddy after I watched it. Like I had just uh, eaten a bunch of pixie sticks or uh, Easter candy. <laughs> just so great with, uh, with, with the characters, with, with the... The, the life that Rashida Jones and Bill Murray bring to the movie and the emotions. And it's, it, it's, uh, it, it is a comedy, but these characters are Rashida Jones. His character is dealing with something very serious. The state of her life, uh, feeling like she's in stasis is her marriage falling apart maybe, but it is so much fun. And you feel like, well, like there has to be a logical explanation to what's going on here, and it it's just wonderful how Bill Murray guides her to the correct solution. Like all the steps are wrong along the way, but the solution he takes her to is the right one. And so I watch that, and I'm thinking, like, well, of course. Sophie Coppola then gets my best director uh, award and my my best screenplay award. But then, as I'm writing out my my Oscars uh, winners, and I didn't do uh, a list of nominees, I just wrote down like what was the first thing that came to mind. I had to give Kid Detective for original screenplay because of its creative premise and what it did with that premise, and in part because. And this is one of those things where the actors are so good at performing that it feels like Bill Murray is just making up his dialogue. 
And it feels like Rashida Jones is just actually reacting freshly to what Bill Murray is just making up. You know, so it's like Sofia Coppola directed them to such great performances that I forgot that the movie had to be written, written down first. And it was really tough for me to pick between Sofia Coppola and Armando Iannucci for director. But uh, I ultimately had to give it to Iannucci because of the inventive approach, the fun approach to a, a classical piece of literature. But what Sofia Coppola does with On the Rocks, it seems like it would be a slight movie. And I mean, in fairness, it's, you know, it's not... Actually, this is more like a Woody Allen movie than Let Them All Talk. It right? really... Because it's really... Go on. It really is. Um, like, I was saying, like, it doesn't deal with, like, sociopolitical issues... Uh, the way like some of the actual Oscar nominated movies this year deal with, but this movie just is so emotionally affecting to me. And it does, <laughs> you're right. This is, I feel like every year there should be the best non Woody Allen uh, movie, non Woody Allen, Woody Allen movie. Like uh, <laughs> yeah. whatever year Chris Rock made, Top five. Was, that would Woody Allen had a movie out that year. I forgot what it was. I, maybe it was To Rome with Love. Maybe, but it was like between Woody Allen and Chris Rock. Chris Rock made the better Woody Allen movie. Yeah, about people in New York with relationships were like, "Well, this is just a slight light movie." But oh, oh, like I feel the emotions deep and heavy now. And On the Rocks is kind of the same way, which is how. Lost in Translation was. It's It has a light premise. You describe it to anybody, it sounds like, okay, well, this is going to be a fun movie. And it, it is a fun movie. And it is light to a point. But the emotions of the characters, the way the characters are written, it builds up. And it, you become so invested in the life of of Rashida Jones and her, the state of her marriage, that things really become kind of, uh, they, they feel kind of heavy there for a moment. And you think like, well, but it, it's a movie. Surely it's all going to work out in the end. But there's a moment where you think that it, it might not. And it's, it, it, it's just a wonderful experience and i don't get moved by a movie as as much as on the rocks moved me and i as much as i want to and for whatever reason sofia coppola who is one of my absolute favorite filmmakers if there's people that know me listening to this it won't be a surprise that uh i'm giving Best Picture to a Sofia Coppola film. It works on this this profoundly emotional level. It starts out with surface emotions. It's going to be a fun little romp. It's going to be like Bill Murray taking his estranged daughter out, chasing her husband in this red little sports car all over New York. And even in its serious moments, it's still it's still fun. But it 
just kind of reminds me, uh, it just stirs up these feelings and emotions and I get caught up and I really do forget that I am watching actors play pretend. It's just a wonderful piece of cinema and there aren't many movies that have the same effect on me as as On the Rocks did. Well, I would I would say that there, there's some stuff on the list that doesn't surprise me at all knowing AJ. Like I had a feeling that On the Rocks was going to be up for some stuff because he's he's so crazy for Sofia Coppola and that of course makes sense and also Elizabeth Moss cuz he's a big Elizabeth Moss fan. And it's weird she got a lot of hype when Invisible Man came out at the beginning of last year. But it had that kind of thing of it's a genre movie and it came out way too long ago. So the Academy just kind of forgot about it. But um, and of course he picks Ben Affleck for best actor. Like <laughs> that is such an AJ move. <laughs> Made me watch it. How was it? I haven't seen it. Huh. <laughs> I mean, it was, but... <laughs> I, I watched the whole movie and you know what's odd when you watch a movie about an alcoholic, but at the end of the movie, all you want to do is drink. So was <laughs> I it, drink along. That's was what it I was do. it an effective movie <laughs> if the whole point was that the, that this guy is going to get sober? If <laughs> that if it just makes you want to drink, I don't know. But that, yeah, that watching was a, that Ben was, Affleck <laughs> drink is like watching um, Brad Pitt eat. You know, it's just like <laughs> they it makes make, you want it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even but, eat burgers, but damn, man, <laughs> look good. I definitely need to check out the Kid Detective. That is that. That sounds really good. That sounds like that's the type of movie that I would enjoy. I need to watch. So that. good, so good. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. AJ's pretty smart. He's a smart guy. Oh, I should say, you know, I listened back to it, and uh, you know, <laughs> we had that whole sort of digression into who is lovable and what is lovable as an actor and why aren't <laughs> yeah. W.C. Fields <laughs> and Peter Capaldi <laughs> lovable. And I realized that all of the words that I was using to describe them are words that I or other people have used to describe me. So I think <laughs> that might say more about me than about those guys that, yeah. you know, I don't, cons I consider myself to be inherently unlovable. So if I see myself. Yeah, you're sort of the W.C. Fields of my friend group. Sure. That <laughs> Do you hate children? <laughs> no, no. I just, well, I just okay, like them not. better when they're not around. <laughs> No, good, good job, AJ. That was a great. That was as exciting as I hoped it would be. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, now, have you seen Have you seen any of those films on his list at all? Honestly, no. It's you know, like I guess I'm just into what I'm into because like he said said movies that sound good to me, but I didn't didn't think to watch them at the time. Like David Copperfield sounds great, but I've never seen anything by Armando Iannucci. Like, really? You never seen yeah. Deep or The Thick of It? Nope. The no. Death of Stalin? Nope. Oh man, you have so much to look forward to. Avenue Five is really great. Yeah, he's fantastic. I know I'm gonna like it. I need to watch. I need to watch it. Start it's, with the know, thick keep... of it. It's so mean and so funny. <laughs> it's so... and it's English politics, so you don't know anything about. So you don't get riled up. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what they're referencing. It's just everyone is is terrible and funny and mean. 
and cowardly and just it's just wonderful it's fantastic um, i will say i really like to shout out to margot roby for being in birds of prey the harley quinn movie because that movie almost made my list i just didn't feel right to give credit to a comic book movie in a year where we thankfully didn't have many we had a break but that movie was great and she is really good at it so i'm glad that he gave her a little shout out on his list of non minis Wonderful, wonderful. Well, before we get to Nigel Fullerton's nominees, let's remember a few more of the greats who uh, yeah. have given us so much in the in terms of entertainment. Starting off with, when I say his name, you're gonna smile. If you don't, I don't know what's wrong with you. Are you ready? Try not to. Jerry Stiller. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it just makes you happy to think about Jerry Stiller being alive, yeah. not not being dead. Yeah. So uh, what? any any particular Jerry Stiller you want yeah, to Yeah, so, give, I mean, he's definitely to? most remembered for Seinfeld, I think, by the population. Uh, yeah. But I really like him in dramas. He's really good. Like, he's kind of underrated for these two dramatic movies. Uh, one is called Seize the Day. Which is great, and a star. It's one of the Robin Williams dramas, and he's really good in it. And he's also great in the Taking of Pelham One Two Three, which is amazing to see him in that. And I love that movie to death. But I think people forget that he's in it. He's one of the people that Walter Matthau is kind of working with to figure out uh, what's going on with the Pelham One Two Three. Um, yeah. Hmm. I uh, I'm trying to remember. Seize the day. It's a movie that kind of came and went, and it's just like late 80s, and it may may have been a TV movie, because it's just like, I don't remember hearing about it, but it's really, it's like one of those good, solid Robin Williams dramas. Yeah, it's a 1987 TV movie. Yeah, it's really good. And in my mind, they re-released it after Dead Poet Society, or maybe they even retitled it because of the Seize the Day thing which was the line from, you know, Dead Poet Society. So I think that could have been like a VHS release post that to try to cash in on confused people in the video store being like, Seize the Day, is that that movie that everyone's talking about? And then they watch it and maybe they figured out that it wasn't, or maybe they never did, but they saw a good movie either way. So Well, if you, if you're, if you feel like you're, you're missing some Robin Williams, this, uh, this film written by Saul Bellow, from the, based on the Saul Bellow novel, is uh, it might be something to check out, and yeah, I forgot that Jerry Stiller was in the taking of Pelham One Two Three, so mm-hmm. uh, so thanks for reminding us. Of course, and then we move on to Peter Tork, uh, the love monkeys. Peter Tork. Everyone loved him. He was definitely the George of the monkeys. No, right? he wasn't. Was he? What? Who was he? No, Mike Nesmith was the George. No, Mike the... Nes. No, Mike Nesmith is the John. He's the the wry, <laughs> smart guy. No way. Who do you think? Wait, who do you think George Harrison is? George Harrison is the quiet one, who sort of goes along but says little snarky things. See, on I the side I look at mouth. George Harrison as the actual cooler one, as opposed to the more famous ones that everybody else likes more. That's how I think of George Harrison. Not quiet, but more like you're the more interesting one. You're the one who doesn't quite fit in with the team. That's how I always kind of thought of it as a George Harrison. If you're going with quiet, 
then yes, Peter Tork is definitely the George Harrison of... If he was a member of the animals, which of the animals would, would he be? I don't know. Like the, it'll be like the, the, the... If he was a kink, the, which kink would Peter Tork be? Okay, wait a second. I'm still trying to figure out which animal is. Okay, he's a squirrel or a chipmunk, if he's an animal. No, I meant and the band animal. And his kink is like he's a cuck, I think, probably. like. <laughs> so... Tor- Torx's kink is cuck. Great. That's a headline from the Weekly World News. Shit. This is not how we want to honor someone. Damn. Let's talk about just briefly Wait. about the movie uh, Head, which uh, was, pro- in, in a lot of ways, was not the first, but was kind of like one of the first new Hollywood touchstones. Yeah. Uh, the monkeys oh, yeah. were created by Bob Rafelson. Uh, and mm-hmm. so... The film head really was Bob Rafelson and Jack Nicholson's mm-hmm. sort of big push as, hey, we're filmmakers. Yeah. And it's a film that it, what is it? It doesn't hold up, but that's what's so great about it. It is so, <laughs> it's a film that is so of its time that it could only be of its time and if you want, it's, it might be the closest thing to a time machine back to the late 60s in mm-hmm. Hollywood, definitely. Yeah. Along those lines, we lost another sort of a man of that generation. You want to talk about him? A comic legend? Oh, Fred Willard. One of the great comedians of all time. Like Definitely recognized for all the Christopher Guest things that he was in. But I was a big fan of him in Fernwood Tonight, the oh, yeah. Mary Hartman Mary Hartman spinoff that was sort of like the fake talk show that Fernwood had. And he was sort of the Ed McMahon to Martin Mull's uh, Johnny Carson. And that's sort of like when he first like really was like on fire just being like the funniest man alive. So if the Christopher Guest movies were the Beatles, Fred <laughs> Willard would be... I think he would be the Paul McCartney. <laughs> so he wrote he wrote them all and plays instru- plays all the instruments. <laughs> it's imp- it's all improv, so sure, yeah. When <laughs> uh, there's a film I like, I discovered recently a film called The Herod Experiment that I had oh, never yeah. seen before with a very young Don Johnson and Bruno Kirby, mm. and. In it, they go and see an improv group, and it has a very young Fred Willard in this improv group at a show they go to in the late (laughs) 60s, early 70s. And in researching this, I found there's a film called Herod Summer. The Herod Experiment is about these teenagers who go to this school that is sort of like, or like, nudity is encouraged and like sort of self exploration, a very uh humanist late 60s early 70s idea of alternative education and i guess there's a sequel called harrod summer that also features fred willard so uh, (laughs) wait you know when i think of like young people exploring their bodies i hope fred willard is always the name that pops in my head fred willard and bruno kirby (laughs) (laughs) the ladies are saying thank god you said don johnson too (laughs) He he's a he is a good looking guy who t- in this in the Herod experiment certainly takes advantage of it. He's just making <laughs> it with everybody. 
Fred uh, Willard? No, 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 Don Johnson. <laughs> I know. Fred Willard, I was, if I, I remember, is wearing a nice red shirt. <laughs> uh, uh. So moving on down the list, who do we have? Kenny Rogers. Ah, uh, yeah, the gambler. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, of the the new Christy minstrels before you know before he went on to solo fame, do you have any favorites from Kenny Rogers? I want to you know he wasn't in a lot of movies, but I definitely want to recommend Six Pack. It's a movie that uh, early '80s sort of feels almost like Hal Needham for children in a way. <laughs> like this movie could have totally starred Burt Reynolds, but thankfully it's for kids. So it starred Kenny Rogers and it's him as a race car driver and it's him having to like get a bunch of kids in a car and going on like a road trip. And it's just a delightful, like, you know, family comedy starring a Diane Lane and a Barry Corbin and Terry Kaiser, like all these great people in an early eighties comedy. I imagine that it's, that it's six kids. That's why it's called six pack. Yes, that's totally yeah. Because I, but the title makes you think that it's him driving drunk with the six beer. kids. Let's do a remake <laughs> and do uh yeah, it's it's a movie that like not a lot of Nick people Cave have seen now. In six pack, six pack. Let's do a remake. <laughs> it's got a very memorable cover where it's like him surrounded by like these rambunctious kids and him just having this look of like ah oh, geez, I gotta, I. It, I got to take it. Just imagine if Stroker Ace had to drive a bunch of children across the country. That's basically what it is. Um. <laughs> Another film that has a title that is really confusing. Like, if you're going to see Six Pack to see a movie about guys <laughs> drinking a lot of beer, but also managing to maintain awesome abs, this is not that movie. That would be awesome. Like, <laughs> There's so many movies this should be, but no, it's not. Sorry, Kenny Rogers. This is not this is not respectful, I guess, as it should be. You're a great songwriter. Uh, the Gambler is a great song, and I'm sure and that was made into a movie. Um Yeah. It's it's strangely they tried to make a TV show six pack starring Don Johnson. Who actually does have, at least in uh, the Herod experiment, something a six pack close, on his body. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As opposed to in his body. <laughs> Uh, uh, moving on, we bid adieu to Honor Blackman, who played Pussy Galore mm-hmm. in the, which James Bond? Goldfinger? Goldfinger, yeah. And what I find interesting about Honor Blackman in the same way with Diana Rigg. So Goldfinger came out in, what, 65, 66? 65, I 65. think. 64, 65. By the time that film came out, Honor Blackman had been a star in England since 1947. So wow. you sort of have to imagine that Honor Blackman being in Goldfinger, at that point, I mean, Sean Connery is a rising star, but she's mm-hmm. still kind of a bigger star. Mm hmm. You know, it's imagine it's like the second or third Channing Tatum movie and he's in a movie with Diane Lane. It's like Diane Lane's the the movie star in this movie and you're the <laughs> the rising star. And that's who Anna yeah. Blackman was when she played the uh, uh, did, do you think she got the script and saw that the role was pussy galore and thought great. 
Yeah, I think that is what happened. I think she was like, this is hilarious. <laughs> I love it. You have to have a sense of humor to get into that. So clearly she does. I mean, her name is Honor Blackman. So <laughs> she obviously... I know now we're going back to giving Spike Lee more awards. Yes. <laughs> give him give him the shaft and name the, the Oscar Honor the Spike Lee, Lee and the Honor Blackman. Yes. Uh and moving on the uh, we honor the passing of Irfan Khan, Irfan Khan. I only know him from Slumdog Millionaire. I think most people are are you familiar with his work in other films? He's in so many uh Bollywood movies that like I and Bollywood is one of those genres like anime and pornography where I'm just so overwhelmed by this whole world of movies that's separate than the world of movies that I grew up with that it's like I don't even know where to jump in. But they all look really good. Um, I remember him uh, briefly in the Darjeeling Limited. He plays a character that is credited as the father, and he's very good in that. It's just a small part, but like you know, he's he's got a great face, and he's just one of those people that was always in movies all the time just a lot of them weren't made here in america and uh we have one last one on this list uh she's mostly known for her i think for to, for modern audiences for her tv work and her work in uh and famous animated shows but jessica walter had a long and story yeah. career that included a performance in a film that i love from the mid '60s, called Lilith, with yeah. uh, with Warren Beatty and Gene Seberg, uh, and Gene Hackman, or an early performance. Uh, really, really excellent film. Do you have mm-hmm. a favorite Jessica Walters? I love her in Play Misty for me. Oh yeah, she's so terrifying and great in that. And like maybe the only time a woman can really kind of make Clint Eastwood terrified. <laughs> that is, I don't think that's really happened often in a movie, but like he's, that's the only time when women has been able to like cut Clint Eastwood down to size. Okay. Okay. I yeah. mean, uh, what was the one where Sandra Locke was killing all those guys? Was the, the murder of the, the, Oh, that was one of the revenge? dirty Harry movies, yeah. right? Wasn't it? Deadpool. Yeah. Was it, was it called the Deadpool? No, that was it's the one before the Deadpool. I don't remember which one she was in, but she was in not Magnum Force. The, all of the names, <laughs> the Drowning Pool. Yeah, no, they have two with the, or Sudden Impact. No, it's not Sudden Impact. Uh, the Deadpool. No, it is the Deadpool. There's Dead no, Dirty not, Harry, Magnum it? Force, The Enforcer, Sudden Impact, and the Deadpool. But she's not in the Deadpool, so she would be. She was in Sudden Impact. That's the one that she was in. Deadpool is Jim Carrey and Liam Neeson and uh, Remote Control Car. And oh, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Sudden Impact. I'm not going to get movie's... into a Dirty Harry argument with you. You know you're Dirty Harry better than me, I guess. <laughs> I mean, this is a tangent. It has nothing to do with Jessica Walter. But Sudden Impact is great. It's it's the Dirty Harry movie that feels like a Jallo, and it's very good and very disturbing. But. Back to it. Jessica Walter at Play Misty for me. She is amazing in it. If you, it'll, It's really fun, too, watching her in that after seeing her a bunch in Arrested Development because it's such a different thing. And seeing her kind of young and beautiful and just driving Clint Eastwood crazy is very fun. And was that Eastwood's directorial debut? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
And uh, and it didn't go well for him. He never directed another film. <laughs> never again, because he was like, good enough. I'm done. Uh. <laughs> no, no, he's he's made a few movies. Still, still making them. He'll be making them from the home. He'll be making movies past past the time. If Let's the director's wall ever decides to do a Clint Eastwood, to devote themselves to Clint uh. Eastwood, that will be the end of the director's wall. It'll just go on. <laughs> You'll your children will have to. <laughs> continue it because there's so many movies he will outlive all of us that healthy bastard uh. yes uh forever telling us to get off his lawn <laughs> <laughs> and by lawn uh i mean america um so okay well moving on that is so i think that that closes out our in memoriam if mm-hmm. you think that we laughed too much while talking about it, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is none of it is. I mean, we may have said one or two disrespectful things, but none of this is disrespect to these artists. They're on our list because they brought us great joy, inspiration, yeah. insight, entertainment. And unlike the Oscars, we have chosen to uh, honor and celebrate them. <laughs> And now let's move on to our last guest nominator. You will remember him from our crossover episode where he joined the World is Wrong podcast to talk about Meet Dave. And then, Brian, you joined the Murphy Monday podcast to talk with him about I Spy. It is Nigel Mm -hmm. Fullerton of the Murphy Monday podcast, and he has a pretty interesting list. (laughs) <laughs> oh, and I should just say, uh, this this starts off, we were just talking, and he told this great story about meeting John Singleton. So I just threw that on at the beginning before we got into the interview. This is why when you're doing podcasts, you should always be recording. If you're a podcast guest, just know that uh, when you tell the best story in the world at the beginning of your interview, before the interview starts, it might find its way in. And that's where we're going to go now. I met John Singleton in 2001 in New Orleans. Um, I was in a film competition that, like, I I did, like, a little documentary about television violence and how it affects our society. And um, it won third place in this, like, I forgot the name of the competition. But um, he was one of the, the presenters of the award. And he also spoke to us at like a young person's convention. It's something he did for for us. But anyway, I found out that he was in, uh, we were staying at the same hotel. And I found out that his, he was on, we were both on the same floor. So every time I would look out in the hallway, I would see him leave his room and I would go over to him in the, uh, in the elevator. And we would have like discussions about movies. That's awesome. And I think he gave me his email address. Like, he could have said, beat it, kid, but he didn't. He gave me his email address and told, told me to keep in touch. So, Nigel, welcome to the Noscars. Oh, thank you for having me. You're far too kind. Oh, no, no. You're the one who's kind for giving your time to this, uh, this fledgling enterprise, our alternative film celebration ceremony. So... What are the parameters that you set up for yourself to create your list of Noscars nominees? All right. So last year I watched a lot of 
movies and TV shows that I really would never watch. I'm not going to lie to you. Everything from um, uh, children's TV shows to like really adult content. It's, it's crazy. Uh, we did not have anything to watch. So what I did was I looked through most of the things that I had to review for my other podcast called The Jump Cut. And I, I salvaged the list that I think that has everything that encompasses what should be on the Oscars. Okay. So I'm ready for this. And how just how do you have it broken down? Why don't you just tell us what do you, what are the categories that you created? All right. I've chosen best movie, best series, best actor, best actress, and a Razzie that I want to defend. Okay. Great. Excellent. That's very it's sort of a classic, very consolidated list. So Let's talk about movies. Well, how, which order? Do you want to work from the bottom to the top or top to I don't the have them in any specific order, so I'm just going to rattle them off. Okay. So give us your movies, Nigel. All right. Movies that I think were pretty decent for the 2020. Bad Boys for Life. It was the third installment of the Bad Boys franchise, and it didn't disappoint. It wasn't the greatest movie, but it was great to see Will Smith and Martin Lawrence together in a movie again. Uh, brought back all the nostalgia that we we never knew that we missed or needed. Um, another movie that uh, tips the scales on nostalgia as well, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Oh, yeah. I thought it was going to suck. I really did. I'm not going to lie to you. No George Carlin. Uh, it's been 30 years since <laughs> since they did this, and not for nothing. It still was great to see Alex Winter really killed it in that movie. Like for me, I think Alex Winter was the best part of that movie. Just seeing him face off with Keanu Reeves because Keanu Reeves is just known as uh, John Wick at this point. Did he? Did I didn't see it? Did uh, did? Oh, he did, didn't. Did he kill anyone? He did not kill anyone, or maybe he did. I don't remember. Uh, but it, what it was was that it was a fresh take on the story. It was great to see Bill and Ted all grown up and they didn't really grow up per se, but they were still trying to find that song that united the whole world. And they still have not found the song that united the whole world. Awesome. It was time bending. It was gender bending. It was everything like it it did everything correct that it was supposed to do. It was just made to watch VOD. And it received no Oscar nominations. So that's why it's on our it list. It has no Oscar nominations. Yeah. So what else you got for us? <laughs> the Hunt. I don't know if you heard of that movie. No. Tell us about it. All right. Betty Gilpin, uh, she is in The Hunt. Basically, it was about liberals hunting conservatives. Mm. It was the craziest thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, it was like they basically kidnapped a whole bunch of people that they thought to be conservatives. And they basically put them in a, a, a forest of some sorts and let them run free. And the liberals were hunting them down <laughs> to kill them. It was, it was the craziest and wackiest movie I've ever seen, but it really held my attention. You think that Betty Gilpin as part of her preparation for this, just imagined that the conservatives were the people who canceled glow. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I'd like to put the people who I'd like to hunt the people who canceled Glow. <laughs> the whole time I thought she was Megyn Kelly at, at, oh. at some point. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, but it's a very interesting movie. If you ever get a chance to watch The Hunt, I will say watch it. Okay. Another movie I have on here is Scoob. Wow, 
I thought another Scooby-Doo installment would suck, especially a Scooby-Doo animated movie. After we've had so many Scooby-Doo movies, there's been tons of them. But this this movie had so much nostalgia factor to it that I could not say that I I, I didn't like. It. I loved I loved watching Scoob. A lot of people didn't really like it, um, but the voice acting on here you had Zac Efron, you had Will Forte, Amanda Siegfried, Gina Rodriguez, Mark Wahlberg, Tracy Morgan as Captain Caveman. <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> nice dick dastardly was in this movie like it had it it did everything for me hannah barbera would be proud if they could see this today excellent excellent okay keep going what's what's next how many on your list i got two more three more yeah lamb on us and then we can move on all right so um the movie freaky which was a uh horror take on uh freaky friday with Vince Vaughn. Basically, Vince Vaughn plays a homicidal maniac and he switches bodies with a teen girl. <laughs> <laughs> so it's brought to you by Bloomhouse. And yes, Bloomhouse had made some stinkers. Fantasy Island wasn't that great. They did do Invisible Man, which was decent. But this freaky movie, watching Vince Vaughn come back to us in this form, I'm loving the after frat pack version of uh vince vaughn because like he's mature and he knows what his bread and butter is and he sells it every time especially in this movie freaky excellent excellent okay keep 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 taking us through this list of movies i want to tell you right now you're five for five in movies i haven't seen (laughs) (laughs) i love it yeah i love it that is that is the sign of a great list so keep going. <laughs> All right. Uh, my next movie is Palm Springs. It is a Hulu exclusive. Oh, yeah. Hulu was doing a lot of exclusives last year, um, mostly mostly with, um, what's the other SNL alum? Oh, Pete, Pete Davidson. They did a couple with Pete Davidson that were kind of the same, same movie. But Palm Springs, it is a different take on Groundhog Day. And... It's a it's such a fresh take on a, an overdone movie because we I've seen people try to do Groundhog Day so many different times and so many different ways. Palm Springs had to be the most charming and most different of all of the movies I've ever seen. Okay, so is right. this your final film last, on the list? Yeah, okay. final film on the list, last but not least. I cannot stress enough. This movie was only not, and I hate the fact that I can't really use this movie because it was nominated for best score by the Academy Awards. And I hate that because it's just like a, it's a participation trophy. It doesn't mark how great this movie is. And I'll get to that later when I talk about best actor and stuff like that. But the five bloods, oh my God, I loved it from beginning to end. This is like, you think Spike Lee has fallen off with the movies that he's done over the past couple of years. Now this one is really great. And to see actors like Delroy Lindo and Chad Bozeman's final performance, it is so good. And I'm so, and Oh, I forget Jonathan majors. It is so great that like, I'm just, I'm just baffled why it wasn't given more recognition. Okay. We have our first breaking of the Oscars rules and, Apropos of everything around the Oscars, it comes from that rabble rouser Spike Lee. He's all, like he just 
<laughs> he just travel. He's he travels in a, a fog or a haze of controversy wherever he goes, even at the Oscars. Okay, well, you know what? I love that film as well, but it doesn't qualify. But it makes your list anyway because we're just because uh, we're a fledgling organization, the Oscars, and we haven't really got our rule state. <laughs> we haven't got our no. We don't have security to throw you out. In fact, we were thinking maybe hiring you as security. Could you throw yourself out? Sure, I, I will. <laughs> okay. I've, I've played security before. I can do it again. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Let's yes. move on to series. Your favorite series All right, of the year. series. All right. These, these are a couple things that I've watched that I really liked. During the whole pandemic, or as some people like to call it, the Panda Express, I watched Ozark, and I watched seasons one through three. And I believe the third season came out during the pandemic, like the beginning part. And I loved it. It's a great, I call it the, the white collar version of Breaking Bad. Hmm. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Ozark gets your yeah. ringing endorsement. What's up? What next? Uh, I would like to also add Lovecraft Country. Ooh. This show is a HBO uh, exclusive. You can find it on HBO Max. It is definitely a very different type of show. It's like watching, I don't even know how to explain it. It's, it's like watching true blood mixed with some show from the fifties mixed with a uh, civil rights movement mixed with like monsters and aliens and all these crazy things. When you think one thing is one thing, it's not typically one thing. So Jonathan majors is the main character. He basically comes back from the Korean war and finds out that his father is missing and he can't, he can't find his father. And along the way, Courtney B Vance is in this uh, journey. Smollett, Smollett, I'm sorry, is in this show as well. Um, there is so much stuff that happens and like, it's hard to explain you just have to watch it. Like there's, there's all these creepy things. It's like twin peaks, but with black people, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> so does this, uh, this is your second Jonathan majors project on your list. Yeah. Whether or not he makes the list, he's clear your list of actors. He's clearly an actor. Oh yeah, No, he's definitely on my list. Oh, of actors. Okay. Okay. Well then let's, okay. Let's keep. Yeah. He's definitely another series that I got into was Cobra Kai. Oh, yeah. Um, I had been dodging this. I had been dodging Cobra Kai for the longest. When it was on YouTube, I kept talking about it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go watch this show that's on YouTube. I never did. I never did until the third season of Cobra Kai comes out and everyone's talking about it. So I'm like, fine. I have to watch the first two and get into the third season. And, man, was I hooked. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. That nostalgia factor versus like an alternate take on a movie that I loved growing up. Mm -hmm. Like I've damaged so many different coffee tables trying to do the crane kick. <laughs> so that is on my list. It, it's just great. And I can't wait to see what happens in season four. It's on my list. Another show that held me and would not let me go. Little fires everywhere. Woohoo! My girl, Lynn Shelton. Oh, my God. Yes. So good. Just to see Kerry Washington up against Reese Witherspoon, two great, phenomenal actresses that just go head to head and you just see what they're working with. Like, you, you're like, all right, who do I root for? Do I root for this person? Do I root for that person? Is this person in the right? Is that person in the right? And my God, Joshua Jackson is in this mm -hmm. and I'm a big Mighty Ducks fan. 
So anytime I see Joshua Jackson in anything, I'll watch it, whether it be Dawson's Creek, whether it be The Fringe, whatever. I'm watching stuff with Joshua Jackson. Uh, but this show, set in the 90s, which is one of my favorite decades, um, just the music alone um, had me as soon as I started watching it. And I was I was glued to, like, I, I didn't leave my house for, like, a good three days because I was watching Little Fires. Oh, uh, just watching and crying. It's so good. <laughs> now, I, you got to keep tissues around. So what else is on your list? We got Ozark, Lovecraft, Country, Cobra Kai, and Little Fires Everywhere. And my last thing, yeah, my last thing, and I'm not sure what's the cutoff for the Oscars, uh, but I would like to point out WandaVision. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Great show. Yeah. I don't know what the cutoff is, but... I think that came out before March 1st, so yeah. Okay. WandaVision had me wondering what the hell is going on every week, and I was so enthused and drawn to a show kind of like Lovecraft country where I, I kept like every week I was like, what the hell I just watched. Like I have to watch this again. Same thing happened with WandaVision. WandaVision had so much. um, It just had so much like lore and mystique to it that I was just like, I have to know what's going on. I have to see all the Easter eggs. I have to read all the comic books. I have to, because I have to be ready for next week because there were so many conspiracy theories on what was going on with WandaVision. And it was mostly because of the fans. It was never really because of Disney or Marvel. It was mostly our expectations. I I was kind of like down at the end, but I was happy with what I saw. And what I saw was pretty decent. Oh, come on. It was Agatha all the time. It was Agatha (laughs) all the time. The whole time. (laughs) Okay, is that the last show or do you have any more? That was the last show, yes. Wait a second. You teased me out, man. You said you were going to add Snowfall to your list. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, (laughs) I have been watching Snowfall. Oh, my God. This show is really great. The brainchild of the great late John Singleton Oh, my God. There's so much stuff that I did not know about cocaine coming to South Central Los Angeles. It's really captivating. It's really different. It shows a story that you probably have never seen this perspective per se because you're seeing it come from you've seen drugs come from the CIA and go through the cartels. And then you see how it hit the streets and then you see how it affected communities and you see how it affected this young boy and his friends and like just just the things that are happening in snowfall. It's like the first season I was like, okay, this is a little disjointed. But once I got to the second and third seasons, I was like, Oh my God, I cannot stop watching. Like I have to keep watching this. I have to see it through. I want to know what's going on with Saint. They, (laughs) I think it might be my favorite ensemble cast. Mm. Everyone, almost everyone who's in it is someone I've never seen before. A couple, except for a couple who are, you know, some of the older actors who are well-known. Right. But in general, it's all people I'd never seen before. And every one of them is someone who I want to see what they do. My friend is in this fourth season and he's I don't know what his um, his character's name is, but like I'm I'm getting ready to see what he's doing. I think he his episodes just started coming on and he's been a major player on there as well. I recently met him uh, when we were shooting the get down together and just to watch his career just bubble from like project to project to project he is phenomenal 
his name is Quincy Chad. I just want everybody to know. <laughs> and I'll just say I, I had the, the odd Hollywood experience of walking around. Uh, I think it was like a Ralph's in the Valley one day a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And Carter Hudson, the guy who plays the main CIA agent, was walking around right. one of the aisles. And in real life, <laughs> he looks just as sad and intense as he does in the show <laughs> is that reed slash teddy yeah <laughs> great show great show so good so good great show okay so those are your shows let's let's recap nigel's choices for shows ozark lovecraft country cobra kai little fires everywhere wandavision and snowfall snowfall so you want us to move on to actor or actress? We will do uh, actor and then actress. Okay. I only have a couple on here, and I'm not sure if I can use some of these because, Uh-oh. you know. here comes Spike Lee making trouble the... again at the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I left off Chadwick Boseman only because I knew he was going to get nominated for something. <laughs> so I was like, listen, you know, he's a phenomenal actor, and you know, living or not living, he, he earns every single uh, achievement and accomplishment that he's ever got. He's, he's, he is amazing. With that being said, these are people that will not get any recognition as actors. And that's why I have them on here. Delroy Lindo in the five bloods. Oh, breaking the rules. Okay, fine. I'm sorry. I'm not going to argue with Delroy Lindo. He's fucking awesome. Dude, like, just, we haven't even seen him in TV or movies in a while. Like, it's been a while since we've seen him. The man gave us so many different ranges of, like, where he could take it and where he could bend and flip. Like, to play a black man who is a Trump supporter. Yeah. (laughs) Who is, like, who's also... A Vietnam vet, like it's there. There's so many different levels to what Delroy Lindo was doing, and then his son Jonathan Majors, who is in Lovecraft Country and The Five Bloods, and he's also another one of my best actors on here. He just to see the dynamic between father and son in that movie, and just to see what the similarities and differences are, and like just. Just the whole makeup, their relationship was awesome. Jonathan Majors also gets it for Lovecraft Country, which is like something that I would not even think to like. It's so many, like, I can't even explain it to you guys. Just know he plays a character named Tick that just came back from the war. And there's so many different things that are weird that are happening in the town that he's living in. Uh, so many different prophecies that are happening. So much witchcraft aliens like vampires werewolves like there's so many different things that happen in this show and you're like what the hell are you talking about nigel no i'm talking about lovecraft country okay and that's (laughs) jonathan majors is your second choice as an actor for actor best actor my next one is hugh jackman for a bad education it's amazing hugh jackman's performance i'm used to seeing hugh jackman as wolverine so seeing him as something else that's like very subdued and not like he has to have six-pack abs for is amazing okay hugh jackman with the six-pack firmly in the cooler (laughs) all right this is another one that's probably breaking the rules but i am a rule breaker um this this man was in two movies last year. His name is Aldous 
Hodge. If you don't know who he is, he is a phenomenal actor. He played Jim Brown in One Night in Miami. Yep. And he also was in, in The Invisible Man. Uh, these two performances, he plays a police officer or of a little girl um, that I believe he's also the friend of the woman that claims that she's being chased by an invisible man. Yes. And he's like, he doesn't really believe it, but he comes face to face with the invisible man. Um, but in one night in Miami, he gives a hell of a performance for Jim Brown as somebody who has played a living character before. And, you know, when everybody critiques, you say, Hey, you don't really look like this person. You don't really sound like this person. You don't really, whatever. I watch Aldis sound just like Jim Brown to the point where I was like, no, that's Jim Brown. Like, <laughs> like he doesn't really look like Jim Brown at the time, but in my eyes, as I saw him and listened to him on screen, I was like, no, he, and he epitomizes and has the, the gravitas of a Jim Brown. I mean, I loved all the performances from all those guys, but I would have to give it to Aldous Hodge. And was that nominated for some, some Oscars? I think so. I'm not sure if it was nominated for an Oscar. I want to say it was. I know it definitely was for SAG Awards uh, and Golden Globes, but I'm not sure if it was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, it was. You rule breaker. Okay, fine, fine. <laughs> you know, these... These are gonna these are gonna go in uh, with asterisks and italicized, but you know it's okay. You know you, you, it's okay. <laughs> Sorry, my apologies. Okay, so those are are those your four actors? Do you have anyone else? One else on your list? Any other rules to break? No, Nigel? no, no more rules to break. I think those those should get uh, recognition. Those guys are definitely because I feel like they're not gonna get any. So okay. I would like to give it to those guys. Okay, so let's go to actress. Let it be known that Carrie Washington and Reese Witherspoon do belong on this list. Absolutely. Little Fires Everywhere, I talked about it before, but uh, God, these are two amazing actresses that like, it's it's like when when John Travolta met Nicolas Cage. Yeah. <laughs> or, or De Niro and... Uh, and Pacino and Heat, mm -hmm. like you know, it's it's pretty like just to see them go back and forth with each other, like it's it's amazing. Yeah, and if they get, you know, it's great because if they decide to team up again, then we can talk about this as WW one, and that'll be WW two. Washington <laughs> Witherspoon, Washington Witherspoon, that's hilarious. <laughs> okay, and that's a shared best actor actress Oscar. For Kerry Washington and Reese Witherspoon for Little Fires Everywhere. Yes. What else you got for us? Betty Gilpin for that movie, The Hunt. Oh, yeah? And I did not know that she was in the new adaptation of The Grudge. Did you know that? I did not know that. No. Oh, yeah. she's. They, I did not know that they came out with a new, like, Grudge movie. I did miss that, but I have seen uh, Betty Gilpin in a couple movies last year where her performances are always stunning. Like, I do look forward, now that I know her name more than just the lady that was in that show with Mark Maron, <laughs> Glow. <laughs> I, I watched, like, three movies with her last year, and just just to see her, especially this Hunt movie, where she goes up against Hilary Swank, uh, yeah, uh, I think she should get Best Actress. Nice. Um, another movie I have here, uh, well, actually, another... Uh, Actress is Julia Garner for Ozark. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, she goes through a range of emotions as the wife of a, I won't call him a drug dealer, but he is an accountant turned drug dealer. Um, just the, the range of emotions that she goes through trying to figure out why her husband's doing what he's doing and then how she can insert herself and help herself and protect her family, um, is amazing. It's commended. Her performance is, is just, it, it's no wonder she wins a lot of golden globes for this show. Nice. Any others? Uh, I believe my last one is uh journey. Oh, <laughs> Smollett. Okay. Yeah. Or as Dave Chappelle likes to say, Smollett. Okay. Yeah. Uh, love craft country. Again, she, she has a very vital part in that show. And like I said, I can't help but ra- rant and rave about her performance in that show. Um, she is, she's truly amazing as Letitia Lewis, uh, or as she would say, Letitia fucking Lewis. <laughs> but she like just to watch to see where she came from, because we forget she came from full house to where she is now is like phenomenal. A child actor where that grew up in the age of the Mary Kate's and the Ashley Olsons. And she's, she's out here killing it in this show that I can't keep raving about. Well, I, I hope you're directing some of our listeners to check it out. Of course, people will remember. I hope so. From the film, uh, temptation confessions of a marriage counselor that we covered in, (laughs) <laughs> a recent episode, and uh, she definitely showed her stuff in that. And uh, so, moving on to Lovecraft co- Country. So, yeah. Um, also on that show, I just want to point out, uh, Jamie Chung is on that show. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people were introduced to her from uh, MTV's The Real World. <laughs> and she's been having an amazing acting career since. I mean, she's been in... The Hangover 2, a couple episodes of This Is Us, Aquafina, um, just, just, she's been killing it lately. I just had to give her a special shout out. Okay. Okay. So. Yeah. Let's see. Let's, we're going to end with your, with your Razzie's uh, defense or a defense of a Razzie nominated uh, artist. But why don't we go through and okay. just let's pick the tops from each list. Can and I, oh, oh, go on. Can I add one more actor, though? Yeah. All right. I just, this is actor, not actress, but this is for an actor. Courtney B. Vance. For? Courtney B. Vance was also in Lovecraft Country. <laughs> okay. And. Lately, I've been seeing him pop up in a lot of shows. Uh, he was also in uh, Genius, Aretha Franklin, uh, that series, which was phenomenal as well. But like, to just just to watch his performances in movies, I know he's going to give me depth, range, and just he's just amazing. If you ever get the opportunity to watch Courtney B. Vance work, I, I guarantee you he's a phenomenal actor and never gets his just due. Okay. Courtney B. Vance for Lovecraft Country. Always, always a great actor. Okay. Oh, always. I mean, he was, did you see him in uh, People vs. OJ? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, oh he's been God. great. And like, he's one of those guys. He's just been around forever. He's one of those. 
forever sort of journeyman can play everything kind of actor so but he never gets the he like he never gets his like his flowers when he can smell them like i've watched him in four different projects in the past couple or five actually in the past couple of months i mean from the photograph uncorked on netflix project power on netflix lovecraft country and genius he's he's been killing it as like in genius he plays aretha franklin's father a a preacher that also drinks smokes and has his way with the ladies okay so (laughs) tell me your picks for the best from each of these lists let's work from the bottom to the top okay so of of your best actresses who is the pick Can I can I give you WW1 and WW2? Oh yeah, Washington Witherspoon. Share the best actress honors. Okay. I I, I would have I'm to. I'm glad I, I was reading to. for that one as well. So best actor <laughs> from your actors list. Okay. So if I had to give one, I would give it to Jonathan Majors for Lovecraft Country. Okay, Jonathan Majors for Lovecraft Country. Excellent. See what I did, I did. there? I, yep, yep. No, I, that's totally, that works. That works. Okay, so <laughs> you're, you're, the series you nominated were Snowfall, WandaVision, Little Fires Everywhere, Cobra Kai, Lovecraft Country, and Ozark. What is your number one? It sucks because I'm watching it now, <laughs> but I would have to give it to Snowfall. All of those shows are great, but I'm with you. Snowfall. I, I applaud your choice. Yeah. And now... The movies. Mm. Defy Bloods not you know snuck in under the red rope, but really you're picking from Palm Springs, Freaky, Scoob, The Hunt, Bill and Ted, Face the Music, and Bad Boys for Life. What is your number one? Jeez. Now this is hard because these are all mediocre movies that are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it sucks because we had like a pool of movies that that did not work, uh, but because movie theaters weren't a thing, couldn't we couldn't do anything about it. Um, to be honest with you, Bad Boys for Life is the best selling movie of of twenty twenty. Does that make it your favorite? <sighs> it doesn't make it my favorite. Like I like all these movies for different reasons. But if I had to pick, I would have to go with Scoob. Scoob, and that's the child in me saying. Yeah, Scoob. I love your uh, choice. That's the child in me saying, "Yeah, that's 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 the, the little kid inside of me saying, hey, I, I really like this show. If you guys, uh, this movie, if you guys haven't seen it, it is on HBO Max. It is very cute. It 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 hits every nostalgic note that you needed to hit. I I just think it's if someone just used your list, they would get whiplash going from Scoob to Snowfall. <laughs> that's a <laughs> that's awesome." That's hilarious. Okay, and now, yeah. for your Razzie's defense, who have you chosen to focus on to defend against the the evils of the Raspberry Awards? All right, so uh, this is the only one I can defend because the Razzies were kind of light this year. Um, but this is one of the movies that I did watch, and it's called... The wrong missing. Oh yeah, I do not like David Spade at all. I have said this on record. I like him in some movies, but I feel like he's a jerk off screen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
PCU I like like him in, uh Black Sheep, Tommy Boy. Those are my those are the movies. Everything else he's done in the past twenty to maybe even thirty years, I don't really care for. Right? So when I watched the wrong Missy, I got glimpses of the old David Spade, the one that I actually came to quote unquote enjoy. The same one that I've seen in Tommy Boy, the same one that I've seen in PCU and other movies, uh, even Coneheads. He had glimpses of that guy, but he also showed that he was he was a person that actually cared, you know, uh, beyond all the like jerk jerkiness that he has going on for him. And I feel like this is probably his tour de force the performance that I know that he can do. I've seen him in everything else. I've seen him play the same character in every single movie, but this one just felt different. So you're, that is your defense of David Spade. Would you say that David Spade has won you back into, uh, you've, he's back in your good graces. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but in the, in the category of bad actors in that category, I forget who else is in there. Uh, I would have to throw him a bone. If I had to throw somebody in life, Life preserver. I give it to him because there was there were some movies in there that I was like, yeah, I can't defend those movies. (laughs) But there was also movies in there that like that should have got should have gotten in there but weren't put in there. And I was just like, wait a second, hold on, what's going on here? Oh man, Scoob, Scoob sweep. (laughs) Wait, wasn't Scoob nominated for five Oscars? Or or no, it wasn't. Uh, But (laughs) very that makes me very happy. I'm glad that that. (laughs) the last guest it, strangely or maybe not strangely his taste kind of align more with with mine which i think is why we got along on his show but like bad boys for life bill and ted facing music freaky palm springs these are great these are also great movies like he, that is a great list that he came up with there i i like this a lot yeah yeah have you seen scoob <laughs> i've not have you i uh i try uh i watched the first <laughs> 25 minutes of Scoob last night and then was like, yeah, I think I'm going to watch across 110th street instead. <laughs> you may have picked the right decision, but you know what? It, it, I, it's not bad. Why... It was, it was good. I mean, I, I'm not a, I, I, but it's that, <laughs> it's that kind of taste though, which is why I think we're going to have Nigel on the show again. Oh yeah. It's like the fact that that is your favorite movie. And well, the fact that you've devoted a whole podcast to defending every Eddie Murphy movie that that means you're you're one of us. Like you are on our team of like fuck the raspberries. You actually enjoy all types of movies, and you're not a snob about it. It's it's great. I, I do it. I do kind of think that there's a part of it where I feel like Scoob is a little bit of a protest nomination. Like he wanted so badly to nominate to pick the five bloods. And it was sort of like, well, if you won't let me pick the five bloods, then you get scoop. (laughs) Like the best film of the year. I can't even talk about it. I've been screwed out of it by the Oscars and now the Oscars. So what is the five bloods nominated for? Isn't it just some weird technical thing? Uh, Best song. Not even that best song. So it's like something that was probably added at the last, you know, one of the, it's sort of the least filmmaking aspect of it like it's really an honor to whoever wrote that song his protest is great though because here we are yet another award show refusing to give an award to spike lee we're not refusing it's just that uh (laughs) against the rules it's just the rules (laughs) sorry 
Hey, we slipped in. We got an award early when I picked mine. Like, oh yeah, got, oh yeah, an Oscar. I we, think we, of uh, all the Oscar of all the Oscar nominees, Spike Lee is getting the most love. I mean, we haven't we haven't yeah. said anything yeah. about any other Oscar nominees. I don't think. True, true. For this year, no. I loved I, I loved that he chose Kerry Washington and Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like that we have two shared mm-hmm. best actress Oscars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you see uh, Little Fires Everywhere? No, I've never seen it. Uh, it's really good. It's a it's a it's 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 a very tight series. There's no, I don't believe there's a sequel or there's going to be a second season. So it was a pretty. I don't want to say an easy watch, but it's good. Really good. Okay. And he got me to watch Lovecraft Country, which is totally just, yeah, it's, that is a, that's a weird, he's right. That is a weird show. It definitely has you coming and going. It's very confusing <laughs> and, uh, and definitely, definitely worth checking out. So here we are. It's oh your boy. turn. Uh, oh uh, boy here we go you ready i'm ready let's so how so tell me your parameters how are you what did you do how did you do this okay so first of all i didn't pick a best of any of these there might be when the lists are when the lists are uh, particularly of the films and my my favorite film and series i might give a little bit of extra attention to one just because and this is one of my main parameters is i want to focus on films that have the least buzz so that's admirable of you i think that's a good idea i figure i'm last i want to like make sure that the ones who might not have got on get it you know get a mention here and also to express my own idiosyncratic tastes which i think is true for all of us is that this is a yeah. statement about a personal statement about what I like and what I want to associate myself with. So okay. it's that that's a, a an admission I'd like to make. And also potentially to make a statement about cinema in general, if the if my choices offer me that chance. Great. So those are my parameters. And I also uh, like I said, I tried to not like if if someone else picked films, I tried not to pick them, but sometimes they were so good I had to. So you're so, starting with Scoob, is what you're saying? <laughs> nope. No offense. No offense to Scoob. It does. I don't want it. I don't All want right. Scoob to become uh, something we kick around. It's uh, you no. Know, it could be great. I'm excited to see it someday. I recommend sure. you should definitely check it out. Anything Nigel recommends is worth checking I out. I agree. Uh, and along those lines, I'm going to start. Uh, so I'm going to start off with series. Okay. And for series, I have a, you know, basically a list of the ones that really jumped out at me. Probably the best, if Nigel hadn't chosen it, would be Snowfall. Um, mm-hmm. It's the last great work from John Singleton. It definitely continues his legacy beautifully, and every actor in that show is a star. Like, it just wall-to-wall. I don't have a Best Ensemble award, but if I did, Snowfall would get it. I've talked about it a lot. I love Little Fires Everywhere. 
Lynn Shelton's final project with Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington, a great watch. Uh, Fargo is great every season. So it's it's sort of it's almost damned by being too good. If it if it was just one season, it would be the best TV. Everyone would recognize it as the best TV of that year. And particularly this year, they had Chris Rock and Jason Schwartzman and Jesse Buckley in in roles that were just fantastic. Nice. Everyone talked about WandaVision. I'm not huge on Marvel stuff, but Marvel can be great. And this time it was great. Fantastic show. Succession, another one people talk about a lot. It's a mean show about super rich people. And so it's confronting and annoying, sort of like Billions or House of Cards. It's sort of like aspirational hate watching with great actors. (laughs) And I love it. Uh, And I hate it. And... (laughs) <laughs> Again, very popular. It doesn't need to be shouted out a lot, but Queen's Gambit is fantastic and probably just going to be, it's going to be great, as great 10 years from now as it was when it came out and uh, a really excellent show. One that's a little bit more under the radar is Devs. It's a sci-fi film with Nick Offerman about time travel. I love time travel shows and... In a year we got a bunch of sci-fi series. I think it was the best or my favorite. And then there's one that I want to give extra attention to, really because I'm putting it at the top of my list because it's the one I've heard least about. It's called Mrs. America. It has just a tremendous cast. Um, Kate Blanchett, Tracy Ullman, Rose Byrne, Uzo Aduba, Elizabeth Banks, Margot Martindale. I mean, if it was like if this were a Steven Soderbergh film, it would be like Ocean's Eleven, except that it's (laughs) about the battle to pass and ratify the Equal Rights Amendment in the 70s. And as as someone who was raised by feminists in the 70s, it just it really reminded me of my mother and her friends at that time. So it was kind of time traveling in that way. It was also something that I feel like is useful educationally, but I don't want to make the, it's in a way the film is probably closest to the trial of the Chicago seven in that it's a popular film that, uh, that takes on a moment in history, but it really feels, I mean, I don't know, maybe people who lived through it, might have the same complaints, but to me, from the to the extent that I lived through it, it feels like it's very sympathetic, although not you know aggrandizing of those people in a way that's really really fantastic. Nice. Huge, really. If you love the the podcast, you must remember this. I feel like Mrs. America is right in that place of really well told stories about historical figures that are really compelling and inspirational now. So those are the series that I really loved. I've never seen any of those shows. Yeah. I need to watch. I need to watch. These all sound great. I saw the trailer for the new Fargo and I was like, oh, this looks amazing. It's like Miller's Crossing, but with Chris (laughs) Rock and Jason Schwartzman. I must watch this show. The problem with TV is like they keep making good, like there's more good TV than movies these days and they just keep making it and I can't keep up. Like I'm now currently watching Mad Men. Like that's how behind I am. It's like I'm always like six years behind when a show ends. 
So like I'll get I'll get to and I heard Debs is great and I love Alex Garland like I'm a big fan of his movies like Annihilation I think is great and um, Ex Machina I think is great so I was really excited to check that show out I definitely want to watch a lot of these so I broke my favorite films or the best films into a couple of different categories I have my favorite films and then I have sort of I have modern masters ooh. So there are some films, I feel like this this accounts for that thing where like Stanley Kubrick never really got nominated for Oscars because it was just always, he was sort of too too great to yeah. <laughs> get the nominations. I feel like, it's, like so, there are certain people who are like that. And I, maybe Spike Lee is in a weird way like that. And it's not the same, but Tarantino's like that. Just the more interesting yeah. directors a lot of times just... They're too interesting to be included. But at the end, you're like, how did all these eight or nine films never get a nomination for Best Picture when they're yeah. the best films yeah. ever made? Yeah, that's the yeah, it's the weird thing. <laughs> so I'm going to work from the bottom of this list. They're just I just have five. One is okay. the latest from Woody Allen. Rifkin's Festival should be like I just. All of these are people who are like you. You're, you have you should see everything they make, so you should see this. And I don't know if it should be nominated, but it's definitely a Woody Allen film. And Woody Allen is one of the great directors of all time. And Rifkin's Festival is a Woody Allen film, so check it out. It's and it's him working with Wallace Shawn again, which is very exciting. Wallace Shawn, Gina Gershon, and. Uh, well, we'll get into it. Another another actor who might show up on this list later on. Then uh, Miranda July's latest, Kajillionaire. She is well earlier in her career than Woody Allen, but I think she is one of the most unique voices in film. You're always going to get something interesting from a Miranda July film, and this one is one in which... Evan Rachel Wood plays the daughter of Richard Jenkins and Deborah Winger, who are two sort of very low level, pretentious grifters who control her life. And it is a weirdly heartwarming film, which I think probably describes a lot of Miranda July's work in that it's it's odd and sad and dark while also being sort of whimsical and life-affirming. Um, are you a fan of Miranda July's stuff? I've only ever seen her first feature. Me, you, and everyone. And I know. really, yeah, and that's a great, that's a great movie. Like, I really like that movie a lot. Yeah, that's great. And uh, the future's great. Uh, yeah, just anytime Miranda July makes a movie, check it out. And I'm right along along these same lines. I'm right there with AJ. He said enough about let them all talk. But if Steven Soderbergh makes a movie, he's a modern master. It goes on the list. We should see everything that Steven Soderbergh does. Next, I'm I'm not surprised this didn't didn't get any Oscar nominations. But and it would I think of all of these, this might be the one that one of the ones that really makes it onto my list of favorite films. But uh, I'm thinking of ending things from Charlie Kaufman. Anything he does is going to be one of the best films and most interesting films of any year. And this had some great performances. And it might 
I've left some people cold, but I think that was its intention since it ends with a <laughs> naked man in a field of snow. Well, in a car in a <laughs> field of snow. And, uh, and then the final of these on the Modern Masters is uh, Small Axe, the five films, Steve McQueen, all great. You know, it's, uh, it's just a feat of filmmaking and it's also really entertaining and moving and uh, inspirational and educational, just fantastic, fantastic films. And as you said, mm -hmm. uh, I think some of us definitely have some work to do on Steve McQueen. Yeah. But uh, but this is a good a good entryway. So those are my five modern films from modern masters uh, that. So Very nice. Now this list really gets into the films that I feel like I want to champion here. Any one of these films, I, almost every one of these films is something that I could see us doing on The World is Wrong. There's seven films on this list. Okay. The first is an ugly little film about art and power and murder with Mick Jagger and Donald Sutherland and two sort of newer actors, Clay's Bang and Elizabeth Debicki. It's called The Burnt Orange Heresy. And it is just, it's intellectual and dark and philosophical and troubling and throughout we have these really sweet moments it's sweet in a way that only Mick Jagger can be sweet like his presence in the film makes the moral ambiguity of it work because he's such a compellingly morally ambiguous figure and I feel like even though there aren't they aren't any any scenes together, something about that also happens with the Donald Sutherland's character. And Elizabeth Debicki is an actress who we are definitely going to be hearing more from and more about later in this episode. Now I want to say with Burnt Orange Heresy, I it's on my list and I recommend it. And I also there's a warning. It's it's not <laughs> it's a fun film that goes that yeah, that that is not does not end pleasantly, and it 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 shouldn't, it couldn't, and it wouldn't be so great if it did. <laughs> but this next film is weirdly the opposite. It is a beautiful film. It's called Death of a Ladies Man. It stars Gabriel Byrne as a man who is dying, and his brain tumor transforms his life into a musical composed by Leonard Cohen. So there's all this Leonard Cohen music, <laughs> and he has these hallucinations that lead him into learning about his life before he dies. And he's a wow. writer, and he's, it's probably the closest role I've seen of Gabriel Byrne to what we loved about him in Mad Dog Time. He's It's a lot heavier on the sort of philosophical humor and less on the brooding guy. So this one I'd recommend to anyone. It's a just fantastic film. If, if you like Leonard Cohen, then you've probably already heard of it. And if you haven't, you are, you've already started looking it up because there aren't many <laughs> film musicals using Leonard Cohen's music and it's great. Have you heard of any of these so far? No, these are all these all sound great, and I've never heard of these. This is the problem of 
my video store that I worked at being closed for the last year is now I'm so ill-educated on new things because like I used to see them come in every week and go, oh, what's this movie? And now I don't have that. Now I have to have someone like you tell me what's good. Like you're now like the world is my video store now. I'm the world of my film loving friends. So this these both sound great. Like I didn't know that Big Jagger was in a new movie. I didn't know that Gabriel Byrne was in a musical with Leonard Cohen songs. Like that, this is great. Yeah. This is exciting. I there there's more exciting movies than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um and they're not all uh Filipino superhero films from the nineteen eighties. <laughs> Which are also oh, yeah. great. But. Uh, so then there's two on my list that would be higher if other people hadn't singled them out. One is The Kid Detective, in which Adam Brody plays Encyclopedia Brown as an alcoholic adult detective still solving kids' crimes. And miraculously, that's even better than it sounds. Fantastic film. And Residue. Skinner's totally right. It's kind of like... I don't know, like mean streets for 2020, but not, I don't, there's no way to describe it other than to say, see it. And Skinner described it probably better than I could. And another one here that I, I'm really surprised it got no Oscar love and that no one has mentioned it on this podcast yet is first cow from Kelly Reichert. It got a lot of buzz when it first came out. It did. And it is, I don't really believe in the best films. I feel like the best films are all a tie, but there I can't there there's no way that any film this year was better than First Cow. First Cow and Residue are kind of perfect movies that nobody's ever made before and and yet uh neither got the, the Oscar love, but they get my Oscar love fantastic films (laughs) and there's a lot written about first cow it's about i know actually i don't even want to describe it other than to say that it's about oily cakes and a cow and capitalism and the woods (laughs) and friendship and death and time and oh i guess i am describing it never mind it's a great film (laughs) now i have two more films on my list The first one is probably, if I had to pick, if I had to pick the best of, I would pick this, except I've heard about this film from other people. But my number one recommendation to anyone to see it anytime and get something out of it is The Vast of Night, directed by Andrew Patterson. It's a film that is sort of a twilight zone like it's like the best twilight zone episode if it were directed by a little bit of steven spielberg in his close encounters era but also george lucas in his american graffiti era uh fan just a fantastic fantastic film can't recommend it enough pure joy of cinema and then my final this is the film that I really realized, sort of like AJ realized with David Copperfield, when I was making my list, I was like, oh my God, this film might have been, I think this was the best film I saw last year that I've never heard anyone mentioned. And it's called Valley of the Gods. Have you heard of this film? No. So 
Valley of the Gods is a film directed by Lech Majewski and starring Josh Hartnett and John Malkovich. And I don't really know exactly how to describe it. It has, it's sort of the most visually beautiful movie I've seen all year. It's an odd story about a writer who is using his writing to figure out his life. But that's, it, it, it falls apart when I try to describe it. There's a scene in which a native man is so horny that he fucks a mountain and the mountain gives birth <laughs> to a baby who is like the heaviest thing on the planet. But also John Malkovich plays like a super billionaire guy who lives up in the top of some rock formation in the Valley of the Gods. And he catapults famous cars off of his mountain and also sometimes pretends <laughs> to be a beggar on the streets. And uh, I mean, I, I, Sold. You've sold me on this movie. This is um. This sounds amazing. I've never heard of this movie. Wow. It's not perfect. Oh, Keir Delia is in it. John Jonathan Rhys Davies is in it. It's it's just so strange and beautiful and unlike anything else. And it probably goes on a little bit too long. But then when you think about it, you're like, well, I I don't know which scene. Like you could cut out any of these scenes, I suppose. But I wouldn't want to lose any of them. They're all amazing. This sounds amazing. <laughs> and I have not heard anyone, anyone at all talk about this film. Uh, find it. Watch it. Watch it again. It's pretentious and entertaining and beautiful. And I think the only really like big movie movie on my list. Everything else is pretty small, contained stories. Yeah. So nice. I have one other that uh, is, this is, this is the truth, but it's also, it's really more of a statement. The film that probably had the biggest effect on my life this year is HBO's Alan versus Pharaoh documentary, which should really be called Pharaoh versus Alan. Uh, it terrorized me. It, uh, it got me angry. It got me in, in lots of arguments. It created really difficult conversations among friends and loved ones. But I also think that it also really, I feel like it, it pushed its case too far. It jumped the shark in a lot of ways in terms of pushing one side of that story in a way that I think a lot of people registered as being unfair. And it did have the you know odd effect of elevating a film which is the response to that film a film by Rick Worley called by the way Woody Allen is innocent and so together those two films are my most important film of the year not in any way the most pleasant but uh if this were the Oscars, this is the point where many people would be booing me, Boo. and I would be Boo. I would be among I would be among my heroes, the Vanessa Redgraves, the Marlon Brandos, the Michael Moores, the Joaquin Phoenixes, the Richard Gears, 
the ones who, uh, who use their moment of, of Oscar glory to make a statement. And that is my Noscar statement. Now we're, <laughs> we're going to play you off. No, now. no, no. Let's <laughs> the, the music. Let's gonna play. move on to my acting awards, my acting awards. <laughs> I have broken them up into the greatest actors, the no small actors award, the best supporting actors award, and the best actors award. And, you know, these are just, uh, this isn't this isn't complete. I haven't seen all of these, but I mean all of the actors and all the performances. But these are just some that really jumped out to me. So greatest actors. This is for those people who get uh, career awards. So, okay. but so instead of taking an award from a young actor who still needs, you know, who needs to be celebrated, uh, this is just an, a chance to honor people who they should they get it for this one but they're also getting it for all the other ones. And for this, I, I go to Gabriel yeah. Byrne for nice. Death of a Ladies' Man. It's for that film, but that film is such a, like, I'm dying and this is my, this is at the, at the top of the mountain kind of thing. Uh, not to say it's the end of his career in any way. He's got a lot, I'm sure he has many great films in him, but this is a good time to honor Gabriel Byrne as one of the greatest actors. And this one I've gone back and forth on this. It's kind of a rule break, but it's also, you know, the the devil's in the details. Uh, She was nominated for a Razzie and she's nominated for an Oscar in a film that I can't watch. But I feel like Glenn Close should just always win the Greatest Actor Award. So I'm just, I'm... I can't watch. I can't watch Hillbilly Elegy. I tried. I it just. I couldn't do it. But I think if you're nominated for a Razzie and an Oscar at the same time, it cancels each other out and could be totally eligible. for Now an there's Oscar. the possibility that she, if she wins the Oscar, this will be bad. But okay. But I just had you know. So <laughs> definitely Gabriel Byrne, partly Glenn Close, but really Glenn Close should just win. You know. Every Again, year. it's almost like don't give her an award now. It's too late. Like stop. You'd yeah, don't. Up, yeah. You don't get credit. And, and yeah, I hope she doesn't win for this, just because then people will have to watch this film in the future of hers. And there's so <laughs> many other better ones. Okay, so I have the No Small Actors Award. Uh, there are four. There's no. There's no best or worst. They're just. They're all great. First is Rene Aubergenois, who should have been in our uh, in memoriam. He passed. We, we, he's he has gone to that uh, great Screen Actors Guild in the sky, and uh, but he has a he has a wonderful, very brief appearance in First Cow as an old man, sort of seeing things and walking in the mud briefly. It's sort of like what is he doing in this film? He's just. I guess Kelly Riker just loves this guy. They're friends and she put him in her best movie so far. So good for you, Rene Aubergenois. Also, Russell Sams had a small role in Good Lord Bird. Ethan Hawke plays John Brown and Russell Sams is one of his children. And he sort of does a Val Kilmer in Deadwood kind of thing where he's sort of like half dead and half gay. 
maybe all gay. I don't know. He's <laughs> not. He's tough. He's super. He's a killer who is also. He's very courageous, but also soft, and he does he does so much with so little. It's a it's a role that would never get nominated, and he just he is doing so much with it, and has a great moment at the end. I said there's no one person getting the award, but as I'm talking about it, if I had to pick one, it'd probably be Russell Sams, who people will remember we gushed about his performance mm-hmm. in the Rules of Attraction. And uh, yeah, wonderful actor. Keep your eye out for Russell Sams. Anything he's in, it's probably good. Uh, also in the no small actor category, Steven Schuyler plays the Native American who fucks the mountain in Valley of the Gods. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta see this movie. <laughs> when I, I those scenes are. Sh- they're just that part of the movie is its own amazing short film. If that's all, if that was just a short film, it would still be just great, great filmmaking, beautiful cinematography, hilarious and awkward and absurd and also deeply spiritual and moving. Fantastic. And then uh, final, this is really the smallest role, but also I think in some ways the most important Michael Garvey plays the therapist in Rifkin's Festival. Rifkin's Festival begins with Wallace Shawn talking to his therapist and telling the story about going to this festival with his wife and what happens and how pretty much how their marriage falls apart there and how he he learns a lesson about whatever these guys always learn about in Woody Allen movies about the sort of the humor of life and whatnot. And I mean, the humor and the track mixed in with the tragedy and, and all that. Uh, so, but at the end of it, Wallace Shawn comes back and he's still talking to the therapist and the therapist never says a word, but uh, Michael Garvey is an actor who I've, I, I'll be honest, he's someone who I know. I, I, I knew a while back years ago he's a true gentle giant he is he plays very small roles in lots of has plays very small roles in lots of big films and something about his quality in this as just a listener at the beginning and at the end who never responds is uh it's my that's my fourth and final actor in the no small actors category. That is Rene Aubergenois nice. from First Cow, Russell Sams from The Good Lord Bird, or just Good Lord Bird, Steven Schuyler from Valley of the Gods, and Michael Garvey for Rifkin's Festival. Moving on, we're getting close to the end here. We just have a few more actor, a couple more actor awards, and your favorite, best director. <laughs> so, best supporting actors. I just have two. One is Jessica Paré in Death of a Ladies' Man. Viewers will remember her from Mad Men. She was the actress that Don Draper married. And she does that great French song. Uh, she sings She sings this little French song at a party. And she has a really unique look and she shows up for a brief portion of 
Death of a Ladies Man. And it's one of those things where it's hard to tell if it's her acting or it's just her being, but she just shows what a a movie star, someone who's a movie star who's not yet a movie star and may never be a, quote, real movie star, but she brings that movie starness to this part. And I don't want to say she's the only person who could play it, but she's the perfect person to play it. And uh, really just fantastic brief appearance in Death of a Ladies Man. And the other person I want to single out is Glenn Terman. Do you know who, do you know the actor Glenn Terman? No. He is in three films this year. He is in Fargo. He plays, it's a show, it's not a film, but we're calling them all the same. He plays uh, sort of Chris Rock's consigliere father figure. The uh, He plays a lot of these sort of esteemed black men of authority, like the, the older, sort of like the kind of roles that uh, Ozzie Davis used to play, where he just, he has a certain amount of authority and dignity that allows him to sort of talk down to movie stars and be the one who shows them the ropes kind of. <laughs> and so he's in Fargo. He's also in The Way Back. He has a very sort of a thankless small role as a bartender serving Ben Affleck. And he's in one of the Oscar nominated films, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman. Both are getting a lot of love for that. But I think if people really look at that film, Glenn Turman is kind of doing a lot. He's doing a lot of the heavy lifting and bringing a lot of the the soul, the deep soul to that movie. And yeah, uh, and so I just feel like he's one of those actors that we're going to wake up one day. He's like a Richard Jenkins type. He's like in everything for so long. And one of these days, someone's going to realize how great he is and put him at the center of a film. And then everyone will be like, oh, holy shit, this guy's been amazing. Like, yeah, I was looking up. He was back. He was in Cooley High. Like, so he's been he's he was a he was a Gremlins. He plays the uh, science teacher wants to do a test on the Gremlin in Gremlins. He's He's great. (laughs) And maybe just like his Gremlins co-star, Jonathan Banks. Someone will know how to use him right and make him the star of something. Yeah, yeah. And you'll see I am tending towards with my best actors also focusing on people who did the most acting, which is not to say that they overacted, but that they acted in the most things. So I'm I'm really looking at people who have, at this point on, mostly folks who have, were who acted in multiple projects over the mm-hmm. year. Now we are to the... Best Actors Awards. The last one should be first, but she was already given a Best Actor Award, so I bumped her down to the bottom. But Elizabeth Moss is I'm is the best actor of the year. But I wouldn't say that The Invisible Man is the one to look at. I would say check out Shirley, her film where she plays Shirley Jackson. And it is just a... 
an actor getting to play a role that is just you can she's having she's not having fun because she's too good an actor to show that she's having fun but it's really mm-hmm. fun to watch her be the sort of a lot of times she has played the younger actress being terrorized by older actresses. And in this, she gets to play more of the terrorizing older actress to younger actors. <laughs> so she just gets to be, you know, fantastically mean and odd. And her eyes are so crazy sometimes. It just, it it's so good. I love movies about writers and this is a great one. Yeah, so I, I recommend Shirley Jackson. And of course, Elizabeth Moss is one of, of our treasures, but she is at the bottom of our list because AJ already took stole my thunder there. So let's talk about a different <laughs> Elizabeth, Elizabeth Debicki, who I talked about from the Burnt Orange Heresy. If you really like Elizabeth, that may be a rough film to watch because, well, because... Uh, I already told you, it it gets mean. But she also was in The Crown playing Princess Diana. And she's fantastic in that. I should have put The Crown on my list of best series. I'm sort of, it's one of those films, those series that I'm embarrassed to say I like because I don't want to associate with the, with English royalty in a, in any way. But that (laughs) is one of the best acted things also, one of the best ensembles, really phenomenal. But so she plays Princess Diana in that. She's in the Burnt Orange Heresy, and she's also in Tenet. And I think she's the best. But she's great in all of them. So And so she's someone who we're definitely going to be hearing more from. This is a, has been a good year for Elizabeth Debicki. Also on this list... Uh, I'm seconding your... Well, you didn't pick Best Actors, so I hastily added Lauren Lapkus to this list for The Wrong Missy. Oh, she's the only one on this list who's only in one film that I've seen, but I really have just not seen that... For all the comedies that I've seen and how many times that scenario has been played out, that kind of scenario, I've never seen that character before like that. And yeah, I loved it. I want to see the wrong <laughs> Missy two, the wrong Missy three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look who's the wrong Missy. The revenge of the wrong Missy. Just, yeah. Wrong Missy two electric boogaloo. I want the wrong Missy channel. Um, <laughs> and going along with uh, Nigel made me think, think about this actor he's in an oscar nominated film one night in miami it's aldous hodge who plays jim brown in that but he's also in the invisible man with elizabeth moss in a really uh sort of just a grounded supporting role sort of like the everyman cop character who's trying to figure things out and also just go- fantastic going toe to toe with Kevin Bacon in the series City on a Hill. So Aldous Hodge is another who makes this this list. But my top three is really where the action is. These three had amazing years. First is David Thewlis. Three films. I'm thinking of ending things. 
uh, Eternal Beauty, in which he plays this sort of hipster love interest of Sally Hawkins, who is a woman who is having mental problems and is trying to navigate how much she medicates and you know how to to maintain control of her life without like giving away her soul and uh David Thewlis kind of plays a creepy the creepy cool guy uh which is an odd role for him and in Guest of Honor he plays the father of a woman who was put in prison for having an inappropriate relationship with a student. She was a high school teacher who had an inappropriate relationship with a student. And uh, David Thewlis plays her father, who is take is trying to deal with feeling like he let his daughter down. And he has an odd attachment to her rabbit, and he has weird interactions <laughs> with people in his in his life it's a film by adam mcgoyan is that a director that you are oh i love adam mcgoyan the sweet hereafter is so good that's like one of the great movies he's an amazing he's amazing yeah and in this it's his most recent film and it has david thewlis and uh luke wilson is also in it and it just has a lot of really wonderful and odd scenes with David Thewlis making people uncomfortable, which is one of my favorite things in cinema. (laughs) Uh, And he does the same thing in probably the real standout and sort of like the most acting award would, it would be in, I'm thinking of ending things where he and Tony Collette play Jesse Plemons, weird parents who make it a very uncomfortable evening for Jesse Buckley, who is the one who is thinking of ending things. And uh, I don't know, watching Colette and Thewlis get weird and uncomfortable is just a a cinematic joy. So David Thewlis, three excellent films, three very strange performances in this year, and that's why he is making this list. And now two, I think these are the two big awards. One is to Jesse Buckley for I'm Thinking of Ending Things and Fargo. People, have you seen her in things? She was in Chernobyl and she was in Wild Rose, but in Fargo, she plays like the scariest, weirdest, oddly sexiest sort of nightmare, murderous, racist nurse. (laughs) Just fantastic. The scenes with her and uh, Jason Schwartzman are perfection. They're just, they're, they're great. And she is definitely an actor on the rise and she is the only sort of uh, likable thing in Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. I can't imagine the film without her. She, and just the way that she is able to be so uh, human and relatable and sympathetic in one really creepy film from an auteur director and then turn around and play 
like something scarier than like Louise Fletcher as Nurse Ratchet. Like much like the like a a real should, should go in the in the pantheon of Coen Brothers greats, even though it's not actually a Coen Brothers thing. But Fargo will always be a Coen Brothers thing. Um, so mm-hmm. Jesse Buckley for that and really the best probably the the closest to the best and the greatest would be Ethan Hawke for three great mm. performances his performance as John Brown in Good Lord Bird is so loud and so like he's able to play this guy who's so loud and so soft at the same time so brutal and so gentle um just a wild hilarious for the ages kind of performance. And then in the same year, he plays Tesla as a very intense, super internal character. They couldn't be two more different characters. And that he played both in the same year is that's why he's my best and greatest actor of the year. And then you throw in a really fun role for him in a film called Cutthroat City uh, that's a, sort of a crime film, cr- gangster crime film, takes place in New Orleans in the aftermath of Katrina, and he plays a New Orleans politician who's trying to do the right things, and he just has brings with these other two films, he's so intense, and in this he just brings this real laid-back ease to it, that kind of completes the the spectrum for this year. So yeah, nice. I, Ethan Hawke is an actor who I haven't always loved, but this year he 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 broke through for me as an actor that I liked before. But this was the year that he broke through for me as an actor who I think is really has become one of the great actors. So good job, Ethan Hawke. And it's kind of, it's sort of a little bit of an afterthought and it totally goes against your, your uh, feelings about best directors. But I'm going to end this with two nominations for best director. One is to Steve McQueen for Small Axe, just because of the, I think it is the cinematic achievement of the year. And the other is to Lynn Shelton simply because this is my last chance to give her an award and I want everyone who likes me or my taste to check out everything she did from the TV work to the films. And uh, yeah, so that's why they are my directors of the year, Steve McQueen and Lynn Shelton. Dear listener, If you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. Eight notes scale an octave. Master the scale and you master the score. Oh boy, that was long. And I, yeah. We did it!
We'll see. Are we? Did we go longer than the real Oscars? We'll 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 compare. Uh, the Oscars just happened uh, right before this aired. Yeah. So well, I think we're recording it before the Oscars. My guess is we'll be twenty minutes longer than the actual Oscars. <laughs> not if I can, as if uh, not if I as an editor can do something about it. I'll try and cut some of this down. But uh, yeah, this is this uh, is. Is it? It's possible that this will be the episode that I put the most work into that the least people will listen to. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's the most important because we uh, want to give awards to these movies and give shoutouts to these movies that no one has seen. Like, if you take anything from this episode, it's watch these movies that you've never heard of. Like, write them down. Like, like, like check them out. Like, you've you've seen the Oscar movies. They're on Netflix. You've seen them. It's fine. But like, watch the, these other movies that you maybe didn't ever hear about or heard were terrible. I think that's worth this four-hour trek or whatever it ends up being. I'm just curious, having heard all of these recommendations, are there any couple of films that you feel like, oh, I really need to go check that one out? Oh, I've definitely got to watch Small Axe. Like, that just sounds so exciting to me. And I think that is for sure happening and i really want to watch valley of the gods because i've never heard of that and everything you've said to me about it sounds like the kind of movie that i i really like like a man humping a mountain a guy a, a billionaire trillionaire hurling cars you know for sports sign me up this is this is the life i want to live so it sounds that i think those are the two that i'm most excited and i'm strangely interested in scoop just because the fact that anyone would say that that's the best anything and you know and we're here on the show we embrace you know movies that other people might roll their eyes at or think it's crazy so i'm gonna go against my gut feeling of no way am i gonna watch scoop and they like well if he thinks it's one of the best movies of the year there's something something to that yeah i i'm definitely interested in quiz now Oh, yeah, it's great. It's so good. Yeah, and I already did it, but after hearing about them from our nominators, Residue from Skinner's List and The True Adventures of Wolf Boy from Jen Brown's List are would be two that I would give would say, "Oh, you might this might not cross your path without us." So, check these ones out. Definitely. Great. Uh, okay. Well, uh, what do you think are the the are in the runners running for Oscars twenty twenty two? No, no. Let's not let's not do that. <laughs> let's not do that. Uh, We're not there yet. Let's it's starting tomorrow. I make the that list. So. <laughs> okay. Well, well, listeners will know that we both have other podcasts. Mine is Radio Eight Ball. Brian's is the Director's Wall. We talk about them on all our episodes. Let's not do that tonight. Check them out. The links are in the podcast notes, and you've heard the ads for them during the show. Next week, we are getting back to our normal non-Oscar-related programming and diving in to Jennifer's body. (laughs) And we're going to have a great guest. Jen Brown comes back to the world is wrong podcast after sharing her nominations she joins us to check our privilege and make sure that we are on the 
non-binary and wide as opposed to straight and narrow when it comes to Jennifer's body and our critical dissection of it. So stick around for that. Thank you, Brian, for letting me do all the creepy heavy lifting and talking about this film. <laughs> Listeners, just know that when you when we get to it at the uh, next week, Brian and I both talk about Jennifer's body a lot. Isn't that right? <laughs> Can't stop talking about Jennifer's body. Yes. So come back for that and check out these Noscars nominees. I want to thank our guests, Zach Carlson and Skinner Myers and Jen Brown and AJ Gonzalez and Nigel Fullerton. And of course, Brian, I want to thank you, my co-host for, I don't know, for picking such great films and doing this every week. <laughs> thank you. And I just want to say hashtag boycott raspberries. Why raspberries opposed to blackberries <laughs> or strawberries? Why do you, are you targeting berries now? What's going on? You know what? I'll just say, I'll make it simpler. Hashtag boycott Razzies. That's better. There you go. Now you can't get confused with the fruit then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's my political speech that you can boo. Boo. I'll just, I'll just be a, boo. Hashtag boycott Razzies. All right. I'll never be invited back. To the Razzies? To the Noscars? <laughs> yeah. You have a you're to the Noscars. You're always gonna be invited back, Brian. <laughs> oh good. Okay, so okay, well this is to all of you. This is this goes out to you whether you love the Oscars or you love the Razzies or Boo! you love the Noscars. Wherever you are, <laughs> people, just remember that the world is wrong. And it's probably wrong about you. He's Steve Lippman. And she's Candy Claire. And together we figure it out. out. Join us as we take on life's unanswered or overly answered questions. Our guests include comedians, healers, environmentalists, bake-off contestants, and some nonsense from our beloved intern Dine. You can send us questions and hear them answered live on the podcast. A new episode every or every other Wednesday on Paper House Network. 